New Game Plus for just $99.99. Thanks, Sega. And welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation Podcast. I am your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me on episode, let's see, what did Chris call it? 5,123. Uh, <laughs> I'm so your host, Brett Beck, and uh, alongside me is one Mr. Chris Figs. Chris, how you doing this week, bud? Oh, just dandy. How are you, Brett? Uh, well, we took a week off because... Mm. Uh, once again, the apocalypse of snow decided to hit the Arkansas, Texas area. Uh, so it's very cold in my studio back here. Also, there's bad news with that, Chris. It was so cold back here. A lot of my Yu-Gi-Oh cards, the holographics that were in this room, are mm-hmm. curling severely because oh, of the weather no. change. Uh, so that's unfortunate. But that's the life of uh, living in an area that's not ready for random types of weather. So we went from... Uh, Freezing cold and snow and busting pipes and all sorts of stuff last week out of the blue uh, to now God has decided to uh, flood the world once more in an effort to uh, cleanse us. So, you know, that's what's going on in my area. Uh, the upside of that, Chris, is I've had a lot of time in the house to play games uh, by the by the warmth of a heater. Uh, yeah. So it's going to be interesting talking about the what we've been playing section, considering that uh, for once... I look like I've been playing the way that you used to, and I'm pretty sure you've been playing like two games. Yeah, about that. <laughs> so, um, oh yeah, there's a little bit more than there. I see you added to my list yeah, reasonably. I fixed, I fixed it. So, first and foremost, if you're new to the show, welcome. We hope you stick around and enjoy the show. We are a PlayStation podcast, uh, but we're really a podcast that just looks at gaming through the lens of being primarily PlayStation fans. We, of course, play on Xbox, Nintendo, PC, or whatever is interesting to us, depending on what games call to it. Uh, but more often than not, we find that that is PlayStation, and that's where we like to play. Um, so with that in mind, stick around where we're going to get to talking about uh, some games that are leaving PS Plus as of February. Uh, we're going to talk about some Killzone rustling about whether or not that's uh, potentially on the horizon. Uh, there's, of course, Sony delving into what their future is going to be and what that will look like as it goes on. Death Stranding 2 rumors and a whole bunch more. But stick with us. What we're going to talk about for the time being is starting the show off in a time-honored tradition where we look at what each other has been playing so that we can either give e- uh, each other something new or something interesting to think about and to play or to give you some feedback and input on something you may have been interested in. So as always, Chris, I will defer to you. And in this two week period that we've been away from the show, we've had plenty of time to play plenty of games. What's you been playing? Um, so I guess I forgot when I was making that list that it was two weeks. So ah, it doesn't matter. That only adds one game to my list, which means um, metal Hellsinger is on my list. I got the platinum and, Metal Hellsinger, apparently starting a fucking trend. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because you messaged me and were like, dude, you got to try this. And I guess you didn't realize. Did you know that I was the one that bought it? Is that where you downloaded it from? No, I bought that shit too, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, you got to learn to check. Hey, man. I learned long ago. I got to start checking, you know, what you have before I go buying anything. Yeah. Uh, but no, I told you I'd started it. And I don't know if it was my TV or what. Uh I started it because I thought game-wise it looked interesting, and I thought the idea of kind of like a uh, a rhythm-based shooter that's even more rhythm-based than kind of what Doom has always joked about, you know, Doom mm-hmm. 2016. So 
I love that idea, but one of the problems with rhythm rhythm based gaming since the uh, dawn of HDTVs is that HDTVs introduce a massive separate amount of lag uh, that's really hard to sync up perfectly. Whereas that was not an issue on old school TVs at all. So. I don't know if it was my old TV, uh, which was a nice TV, and I had it in gaming mode or what. Maybe it was the wireless controller. I'm not sure. But it just never felt like I was on beat in that game, which not to toot my own horn, but that sounds kind of wild because, like, I'm a musician. I have tempo. I, I know how to keep beat. So it always felt weird to me that I couldn't quite hit it. And it's kind of what scared me off of even trying Hi-Fi Rush when everyone was talking about it because I thought, ugh. I don't want the same thing to happen in me not like a game that everyone's wanting to rave about. So to that end, I played about an hour of Metal Hellsinger uh, and it's balling-ass soundtrack. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting, too, because I like how the game builds the soundtrack based on how well you're doing. So like the better you're doing, the more instrument layers you get and you know the more... It, it's just a very dynamic choice of music. So how did you like that game? Um, I liked it a lot. Uh, there were a couple trials that were pretty difficult, or torments as they're put in this game, that I found pretty difficult. But overall, it was just a fun experience. Um, I didn't expect too much out of it. And a couple hours later, I had the platinum. So I was like, yeah, whatever. This was worth the time. <laughs> it was fun. It was, you know, matching to the beat and like getting these long combo streaks and all this kind of stuff. It was really engaging and a lot of fun. But. I don't know what it says about the game that by the by the end I was ready for it to be over and this game took me six hours to platinum. But, you know, it's a six hour game, so. Well, was the platinum <clears throat> kind of just like a you if you beat it, you get it? Yeah, you do that, you okay. get you three star or three skull, all the torments, and then you're done. So a couple yeah. of miscellaneous things that you sh- normally get on the way through the game, so. Huh. Well, yeah, I mean, there's something to be said. I think the, the game was priced well um, initially. The game is pretty short. It's the studio's first game. There's a weird balance that goes between feeling like a game that's six hours. Like, I, I don't take it that you mean that in a bad way, right? Like, you no. enjoyed the game, but you were ready no, for I it enjoyed to be it. over. And it ended when you were ready for it to be over, right? Yeah, I think my question was more, it kind of, what does it say about a game that overstays its welcome in less than six hours? You know, yeah. Well, did it overstay its welcome, or did it run the risk of doing so? Like I said, I was ready to be done with it okay. by the last two levels. That was me being like, "Okay, ding, ding, ding." But it's not. It's not a bad thing. I think a. I had just kind of binged it, but b. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it was just its time was up, and I was still had a couple more things to do. So we'll Overall, see. Maybe experience. I'll revisit it. You know. Um. And we'll see how I come out on the other side of it. Uh, all right, what else have you been playing? Oof. Um, all right, so let's go with the first one, which was Dead to Rights Retribution. I've played a good amount of that. Um, the game is very hard. Then I realized today I was playing it on the hardest difficulty, which tracks. So that makes sense. Um, uh, is that for the trophy? Yeah, it's for a trophy. <clears throat> but I didn't realize, because I've been playing this game for like, two years where i'll just pop it in i'll play a level and then i'll take it out and not play it so that's what just happened i played a level and it's a fine video game it's a very ps i was wondering what drove you towards that whenever you said the game is just unnecessarily hard sometimes (laughs) (laughs) because that's the thing beating it you know we are doing the trophy competition in our discord which is in the 
description below. But I was looking for a game on PS3 that wasn't like, you know, a jumping taco or anything, but was it easier platinum and dead to rights has always been one that I knew. Hey, you just got to beat the game, collect all the police badges and get some miscellaneous. So I've always been going back to try and get that. But that game, um, especially on that difficulty, just pushes me away from it. And it's like it's very janky. It's very like double A for the PS3 era video game. And that's not a bad thing all the time. Like there's some charm to it. But there's sometimes when I can't get into cover and I can't figure out why I can't get into cover. And then I die where I'm like this fucking video game. You know what I mean? But <laughs> it's, it's okay is that, a, is that Namco, right? Yes, I believe so. Um, yeah, Namco. Yeah. That's a rights retribution. Old school before it was Bandai Namco. Yeah, buddy. Namco, Bandai, whichever one it is. Yep. <laughs> uh, Can't wait okay. for the updated Final Fantasy 16 bo- box. Speaking to Sony yeah. Square Enix. Speaking to your um, your your kind of talk about you were looking for a, a game that was a reasonable platinum on PlayStation Three. Uh, two things. I know that earlier you talked about kind of. Uh, looking at maybe having your gaming schedule coming up being like a do a PS4 slash PS5 game and then do like a PS3 slash Vita game. Uh, Like one of those two um, as you kind of go bounce it back and forth and kind of set it up that way. Uh, But secondarily, you kind of just hinted at the potential for like a jumping taco style platinum on PS3. Does that exist? I don't really think that the idea of an easy platinum to that degree came along until late last gen, right? Yeah, I don't think it's the same thing. It's like, hey, Terminator Salvation is like a six-hour platinum. It's a real sneaky one to get in there. You know, that's how I feel like we talked about it in the PS3. Like, that's when I was, like, heavy into, like, ps3trophies.com and in those (laughs) forums. And that's how you would talk about these games. It wasn't like, oh, this game takes 30 seconds for a platinum. And I have 800 platinums that took me all of 30 minutes. It's like, hey, this game takes like five hours. It's pretty easy. You know, and that's in between you doing some ridiculous like, oh, I'm playing White Knight Chronicles for a thousand hours. And I just took a break for 20 (laughs) hours to play Enslaved. You know, that's how I feel like easy (laughs) platinums were in the PS3 era. Now it's like, hey, pay us 12 cents and we'll give you a shiny trophy. You know, that's what it is now. Yeah, see, I was kind of imagining uh, like Telltale Walking Dead or something like that where it's yeah. like... Well, that that's exactly like That feels about era. as simple as it ever got on PS3. Like, beat the game and we'll give you a platinum. Right, exactly. Like, I don't... Like, I remember that with more with Xbox achievements where, like, I think it was Avatar The Last Airbender where it was like 30 seconds and you get the platinum. You know, you just press oh, X God. a bunch of times. But I thought, I think that was all like glitched you know, it was one of those things. So we're definitely in a uh, the worst era of trophies. And pretty soon, Sony will start shipping real-life trophies to everyone. It'll be sick. <laughs> if you'll pay us, we'll give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Got a couple more games in your list. Oof. Um, so I guess I have the most to say about my last one. So I will talk about The Last of Us No Return first. Um that game is dope. <laughs> like, I have not touched the single player. I just popped my platinum, and I've been playing No Return, and it's so much fun. Dude, it's it's hard, but it is fun. That game is great. okay. So I haven't really looked into it. So mm-hmm. for anybody who maybe hasn't but wants to know, 
I know it's like a challenge mode, but how does it actually present itself? Is it like you load into an area that is kind of just like an environment setup? It's kind of like inscription in the sense of like you choose your path. So it's like the one I was doing before we logged on. I was playing as Tommy and I guess spoilers, but it's in the menus. Um, Yeah, you can play as various characters. Right. So I'm playing as Tommy. I just unlocked him. And it's like you choose this first one and there's different styles. There's hunted assaults and there's one for safe cracking i think there's one more but you basically choose the type and then you can choose who you fight against and i've been playing mostly as you know jackson is the jackson squad the jackson five and um (laughs) so you would fight like the wlf you fight the seraphites you fight infected you know that had just is what actually when we were right before the show the same run I'm talking about I died because I was doing this mode called hunted and I think you're supposed to fight the the clickers head on but I had just been um, hiding so I was at like seven seconds left right and I walked around a corner into a clicker that insta killed me <laughs> so it's really nice. fun and you can use like the listening mode and see the enemies through walls that kind of stuff it's cool because. The Last of Us gameplay is really fun, and it does feel really good to be like, oh, I got seen, and then you're playing, and you're just like, pop, 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 and you like knock all the guys out. Because the aiming is very intense in The Last of Us. Like They're coming at you. like It's not easy. Um, and I've only been playing on moderate just because I want to unlock the last character. Um, so yeah, I would, uh, I would say to give it a is shot. Is the last character Donut Drake? I wish. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's the one thing I'll I'll say. It's, that a, is, it's a bloater wearing a donut Drake outfit. <laughs> That'd be so good. <laughs> it would be no. The last the last character is Joel. Um, but yeah, no, it's just a lot of fun. It's you get high scores. Um, you can get you get ranked at the end. So depending on like your accuracy and how much damage you took, all that kind of stuff, you get graded up. You can get up to an S rank, I believe, unless I've unless there's a mode above that. So, um, I recommend it. It's a lot of fun. It's, Last of Us gameplay is fantastic. So, <laughs> all right, let's uh, let's slide in a quick co- talk about our uh, our survivalist romp. Oh yeah. Um, so, what did you think? You're the you're the survival guy. Yeah, no, I am the survival guy. So Chris kind of hit me up out of nowhere uh, about a completely different game. It had nothing to do with the survivalist. He, we were talking about PSVR, and unfortunately, I'm having some woes with that that I've not dealt with. Um, I'm going to try that fix and see what happens, but it's not been top of the line for me right now. Oof. I got so annoyed with it the other night, I just kind of <laughs> been turned yeah, off from it. I was listening uh, to you when we were doing that because you were trying to fix it, and I'm just like, playing the game by myself like waiting and then i got to a point where labored like, breathing should I'm, we just I'm stop <laughs> it was like as, as frustrated as i was trying to get my psvr2 to work correctly it's, it's actually specifically something up with my left sense controller um but as i'm over here doing everything i just hear chris going <sighs> <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck am I hearing? And what made it funny is that like, at various times I'd have my headset on and the headphone in. So it sounded yeah. way more like I could tell what you were doing. And sometimes whenever I take the headset off, it would bounce audio back to my controller speaker that was on the table. So far away from me, I just hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we I was were like, playing okay. ping pong. Um, yeah, what, so we Rocket were trying Fury? to play Rocket Fury. 
Uh, and we didn't get there, but Chris, he, he was like, oh, look at this. And I thought, cool. You know, we talk about uh, rock stars, ping pong. And uh, I was, I've talked about, or table tennis. I mean, I call mm-hmm. it you know, ping pong. Uh, and then I talk about how you could do ping pong slash table tennis in uh, PlayStation Move, um, the sports champions, which I loved. So we talked about that, but then he sends me a list of three games he bought, one of them being the survivalist as well. And uh, it kind of became a quick like, oh, cool, survival game. We could play that together. Because Chris was like, oh, it's co-op. So we ended up getting together that night and playing it. And uh, it's I love survival games because they all handle it slightly different. Yeah. Like They're going to have some kind of different <clears throat> stick, some kind of different thing. And so the way this game kind of approaches, it kind of made me think of, uh, have you spent much time playing Terraria, Chris? I have, yep. So it kind of made me think of just like if you took Terraria, made it way more survival oriented and just shifted the camera perspective up. Mm-hmm above instead of it being 2d um you know side scroller because it's, it's like you had that okay you're gonna need to be in an environment there's gonna be raids that come from enemies and then you're just gonna explore and find new environments and new things so i thought that was kind of cool and i, I like that i'm actually excited to get back to it so hopefully yeah. that's something we can kind of get a regular ish schedule on <laughs> and uh and have it be one of our long term throughout the year uh dual platinums where we both plat you know that'd be cool yeah. No, I'm definitely down to get that platinum. That does bring about one problem that I had with the game, though, is that it's inherently designed for you to be unable to get the platinum by playing with someone else, which just feels like it's discouraging you. For, and I know that you can just play the game and enjoy it without the need for a platinum. But if you're going to sit there and think about trophies, which they clearly did, why would you be like, okay, this game that we're making co-op, we don't want to make it to where you can platinum the whole game playing with it? with other people and i can't even call it like difficulty because the things that you can't get by playing with other people are all things that don't aren't hard at all they're just time consuming so it's you know it's not like well if we let if we let them earn this trophy with another player it'll be easier no it's just now instead of finding all the lore items with chris once i have to do Mm -hmm. it again on my own map you know yeah yeah, I wish it was built a little better that way. I don't really understand why they do that, but eh. Well, Chris, you are very hit or miss on survival games. I so am. I was actually worried initially that you weren't going to be the one into it because uh, almost <laughs> every survival game that I've tried getting you to play, you have literally fallen asleep playing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. So you seem to enjoy yourself with this. You didn't fall asleep. We got off once, you know, we played for about probably two hours and you got Um, off whenever you had to go to work. Maybe not quite that long. Um, So what was different about this game for you that kind of immediately gripped you? Is it because it's kind of a little more detached from reality or? Yeah, um, I'm not sure. I think it was, I think part of it was like, I don't know how to say this. Like I spent the money and I got you to play it so that I had that inherent like, (laughs) yeah, I I like this a little bit more. But then it was fun because I think part of my problem with survival games and Destiny, shout out Velvet's Corner. uh, (laughs) (laughs) The problem with those games is that everyone I've played with was so far ahead of me that we weren't figuring out the game together. You were just pushing you were just like here this is the best shit now we have to go build a house i'm like well this wasn't fun yeah you know yeah and with the survivalists and then a game i'll talk about soon like me discovering all that shit on my own made it more interesting so it's funny because now 
if you ever turn your Xbox on and we play Pal World, it'll be the opposite situation because I'm like fully leveled up, fully decked out. And I'd be curious how you feel about it in the opposite sense because that's where it was with Trials of Midgar where everything for me was so fucking slow and you were on some like fucking golden horse that shot you around the level so everything was really quick and i'm like this is boring bro like this is not fun (laughs) well and see the thing about tribes though that was interesting is that it's a survival game mixed in with a roguelike and so what's funny is we both started at the exact same time it's just like you said that sense of learning even me showing you stuff i still was able to kind of get along a right. lot quicker, a lot faster. Um, so I'm not, I'm not surprised, realistically. Well, it's um, kind of like, I guess the but best you're right. way, because for me, right, with stuff like Bloodborne, the thing I remember turning me on about that game was struggling through Cleric Beast and then finally mm-hmm. doing it. I, I still remember that moment of just how elated I was because it was so fucking hard. At least I thought it was. That boss is a joke now, right? But that when you don't have that like if you had just been like here's bloodborne and then i beat cleric beast on the first try without getting hit with no clothes and no weapon you know what i mean then it wouldn't have been i wouldn't have had that sense and who knows what would have happened with bloodborne and that was it's the same kind of thing with conan or with tribes where it was like you were already you had already been past the discovery phase and i wasn't able to do the discovery phase because it wouldn't have been fun for you for me to do the discovery phase. And it ended, so it ended up being less fun for me to just be handed stuff without knowing how the game works. So part of like why I liked survivalists is we were both figuring that out, even though it was very clear playing it, which I thought was interesting that you having a background in survival games, you were inherently more like, this is what we have to do. And I was over there like, I don't know how to get to you because there's a there's a tree here and I don't know how to go around it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, but there's a very, there's. I, I get your point. There's like a vast delta between coming into a game that someone's already figured out completely in that game specifically and then just trying to... It, it, even if it wasn't on purpose, what ends up happening when you when you do that is that there's almost a sense of like they're trying to speed ramp you into enjoying the game, even mm-hmm. though the reason that they enjoyed the game was because of the slow plotting, figure out how to survive and what to do. And that is the fun, but so is the late game stuff that you're in right now and yeah. you're still having that fun. But it's like getting to that loop and then I think I've learned and that's why I'm actually happy with that. I think the thing that most makes people enjoy survival games, whether you're playing with someone else or whether you're playing by yourself, is both of you kind of getting to that point where you you survive the first difficult night mm-hmm. the whole way through, and you're kind of like, fuck yeah, I did it. Key point to that, we're playing the survivalist, nighttime falls, suddenly bats come out of nowhere. We don't know what the fuck we're doing in the game yet. We die to some bats, you know? Yeah, and exactly. it's like, And it's like, okay, well, what do we do? And then, of course, in a very short period of time, but by the time we got off, the bats were like trivial. That's like that's yeah. the point of the game is to build up to a point where like, okay, the first time we got raided by goblins, we got destroyed. And then we were just finding goblins out 
on the map and destroying them no problem in a short period of time but that's because it's like interacting with those mechanics is really fun so yeah it's definitely if you think you're gonna like a survival game and you've already played a lot of it you've got to be willing to take the step back and play with them as they learn and not give them too much information Mm -hmm. uh or you've got to be willing to look at the game, say, this interests me, but I want to play it with them from the ground up and start that experience together. Yeah. It's really hard to make someone else see what you like about a game that you're refusing to let them have the experience that you enjoyed with. Yeah, and it, it reminds me of, um, I don't know, I think you were actually in the party when this happened, but I was going through a Dead by Daylight phase and I got Blake to try it, but because Blake wanted to play with me, he skipped the entire tutorial. <laughs> so <laughs> then he's in chat and, and like he's uh, he's frustrated with me because I'm like, Blake, just do it. And he's like, I don't know how to play. And I'm like, but we're in the middle of a game. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. you know, so it's kind of that same thing where if you don't with especially with survival games, if you don't have that sense of discovery. You lose a little bit of that sense of fun with the late yeah. game stuff. Well, that's the thing about experiential stuff, right? And that that exists in almost all types of media, but gaming is built on the experiential. And what I mean by that is like, you can watch a TV show and you can watch it as it's coming out week by week and that pay, that waiting and, and being like, oh, what's going to happen next? And I have to wait to get it and blah, blah, blah. And then someone else watches it and they saw the exact same show as you did, but they binged it all. And they watched it once it was all done. They binged the entire show in like a two weeks. And even if y'all both enjoy the show, what your version of the show in your head is and from your experience is so different yeah. than what they experienced, even though ultimately it's the same thing. So, and that's just a small example of like television or, or a movie um, or like, you know, seeing in a theater versus watching at home on a smaller TV with no sound or, you know, like no, no big sound system. Those are experiences that paint the way that you feel about it to some degree, or they heavily, you know, uh, lean you in a direction. But gaming is entirely built on your experience and time with the game because it's in an interactive medium. And so it, I think sometimes because of other media, we're so tempted to be like, well, you, you just hop into the thing and you'll see it for the greatness that it is. But that can't be done if the greatness is part of the experience of, you know, learning and having multiple hours with this thing that you've slowly figured out. Um, and that's why I think what makes gaming so compelling for a lot of people is that sense of accomplishment that comes that other media just doesn't really give you. Like, you know, you can't, mm-hmm. the, the closest I've ever gotten is like watching a movie and being like, oh yeah, I, I think this is what's going to happen in the story. And then it turns out that I'm right. Like you get that feeling of like, aha, I accomplished something. But in <laughs> game, it's like, damn, I cannot get this parry time down for shit. And then by the end of the game, you're like, fuck yeah, I'm parrying everybody like it ain't shit. That's the, you know, it's like that experiential nature really taints the way you feel about it. So, Uh, but enough about that. Let's kind of move on into uh, a quick gist about uh, Power World. A little more in depth because I've not played it at all. It's been Mm. a big hot topic uh, for some controversy, for some just talking about how successful it's been. Kind of um, almost overnight. Uh, so with that in mind, uh, I'll show you, I remember that game being announced like two years ago and now that it's out, it's like, I'm kind of looking at a little closer and yeah, the controversy around it is of course around, if I'm not mistaken, there's some controversy around potential AI use, um, 
for how they came about some of their art assets, but also just how similar a lot of their art looks to Pokemon in general for specifically the creatures. And yeah, looking at the the thing that they showed, it's like every creature that's here, I can, I can name an exact reference point in Pokemon. Does that matter? Does it mean it's the worst thing in the world? No. What it really was is I'm surprised I haven't heard of Nintendo trying to strike this down. Even if they weren't successful, it's typically the type of thing that people like Nintendo and Disney or even Bethesda in some cases are like, you're starting to smell like you could have something that sounds like Elder Scrolls, so goodbye. We're going to, you know, please cease and desist. Um, so that's been interesting. But I think it's, it's kind of getting lost in the muck of a lot of people saying this is Pokemon with guns, which I think shorthands a lot of what that game is apparently because it definitely does give me vibes of like um, – uh, what, do you, what would you even call that? I guess like a, a pocket monster collector mm-hmm. meets a survival game. That's yeah, that's exactly what it is. <clears throat> um, it's, <laughs> I don't know what to say about Power world. I think it's a really good game. Like I downloaded it and I've played about 15 hours in the last like three days. Like I'm having a ton of fun with it. There are some concerning concerning isn't even the right word because I could give a shit less about Nintendo and I could give a shit less if they copied their homework like that really doesn't bother me because honestly the game is fun and there's no evidence to me but there was one pal that I saw and I was like oh dog that's Pikachu (laughs) okay like it, it has the the oval body, the ears, the black, the brown stripes with a yellow body. But then, most egregiously, is that it looks like Pikachu, except it has Raichu's tail. And I was like, that that's that's close. But the reality is, like, I don't know. I feel like when you're you're aping Pokemon and you're trying to parody it in a way, like I'm. Why am I surprised about the fact that it's being parodied and there are designs that are close? Like, I don't know. I've seen compelling evidence that it's plagiarized. and I've seen compelling evidence that it's not. Um, I don't care because it's fun. I'm really enjoying yeah. that world. Well, and I think that's going to be a thing where whether or not it's right or wrong from some kind of moralistic standpoint that someone may be worrying about. Uh, I, th- I think the reality of the market, whether or not you agree with this or not, is that more or less the average society or the average person who's playing game from a societal standpoint, if it's fun, they're not going to really care. (laughs) Uh, And and it gets kind of weird because, you know, like musicians often get into this thing where Tom Petty or someone tries to own a chord progression and say, no, that's my song. And then someone like Sam Smith makes a song that kind of has one little four note section that kind of sounds like won't back down and he's like good now you owe me millions of dollars for using my chord progression and I know that I'm one of those people who's like that's such bullshit you know how many songs use this chord progression Ed Sheeran went through the same thing with something else I think it was also Tom Petty <laughs> but it's just this thing where it's like I own this four chords you know how many songs use that four chords and if you strike me you have to strike all these other things and I don't know if Power World is quite to that level to where you can go, well, if you're going to strike Power World, that also means you have to strike this, this, and this. I don't know if it's that clear. But at the end of the day, that's just the creators trying to get what they think that they're due. So regardless of what we agree on, 
the average person just goes, is this good? Okay. Is this fun? Okay. Do I like it? Okay. And that's what's really going to win the conversation long run, no matter how much postulation we want to make about whether it's right or wrong. Yeah. And there's, there's controversies about AI. There's controversies about a lot and it's sure it's gotten to me to a point where I'm just kind of like, well, if something's good, it's good. I don't have the energy to fight these battles. And maybe in 10 years when my kids can't get jobs doing anything, but scooping slop at McDonald's because we've given it all the computers, maybe I'll regret that decision. But right now I feel as if it's inevitable and I might as well hope it gets for a better future, even though for a lot of things, I don't like AI. Like, I think it sucks that Foamstars has AI pictures in there. But at a certain point to me, it's like, but doing it anyway, am I going to, how, how many experiences am I going to deprive myself from until it gets to a point where everything is AI, so I just can't play video games anymore? And, you know, I talked to you recently where I'm like, dude, I've used chat GPT a couple of times to like help me edit writing work I've done. And I've gotten to a point where that where it works really well, but it's one of those things where it's like, if I change the sentence, is it going to, is someone going to be like, oh, that, that, that's, that looks like an AI generated sentence. You know what I mean? And it's, it's stressful like using it for that and having those conversations when I think it's, it's a good tool. I think the problem is when you completely remove the human element out of it. Right. If I were to find a AI tool, that's like, write me this book based on this prompt. And then I become this famous author. I think that's a little egregious, but I think we're going to have to get to a point where we use AI as a tool to aid humans with what they do but it, ha- it restrict it in a way that it doesn't get to a point where it's so ubiquitous that jobs are being taken, right? Like I think me using it to edit sections of a book and then still intending if I ever finish a book and want to get it published, sending it to a human editor, right? I think that's fine. But I do think, you know, if this is an AI created game, that would be a, a bridge I'm a little concerned about. And the foam star I'm saying is I'm like, okay, yeah, sure it was only 0.01% of your game and it's just little icons like cool. But could someone you laid off had a job today if those icons were not AI? Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other part of it's going to be, and and this is just complicated because it's, it's the reality of doing anything is we're in a stage where a lot of people are experimenting with AI and experimenting with AI means that you have to choose a place and go, okay, we're just going to let AI do this and see what comes about it. And go from there. And that does inherently mean that in doing so, trying to experiment and see where its use cases may be, you run the risk of getting some kind of flack from someone going, could someone have done that? And of course the answer is yes, someone could have designed those. I think we all intuitively know that. Um, but they're just experimenting. You know, we're not at a point where they're saying that this is going to be in every game, but it mm-hmm. also very well could be. So you can see how the publisher on their side is going, you know, we're just experimenting, seeing what these use cases are and wh- if they make sense, where they may make sense. And then the people are being, yeah, but if you're doing that, there's a very, the trend seems to be that when you trial something, you eventually work it into your workflow entirely. And that may have a, a human cost. Um, and so I think it's two very reasonable people, like very reasonable points of the conversation right now, where each part's trying to be like, "Look, we're just messing around, seeing what this thing can do," and then people mm-hmm. are like, "Yeah, but when do you? Where does the buck stop?" Well, you there, know? 
there's an interesting conversation, which maybe this isn't the time or place, but is it more valuable to me for someone writing a game to be doing incidental NPC dialogue, or is it better for the product overall if that team of writers skipped that process entirely, fleshed out the story better, you know, added parts from time that they were taking away to do something menial that could be pumped out of a computer, you know, is that, does that improve the game and in turn the health of the industry? I don't know. You know, there, and there's some things you'd lose with that. Like, do you get a, I used to be a traveler like you, but then I took an arrow to the knee. Like, does that happen with a computer? Probably not. That's the trade off that we have to make. Right. But well, and that's the trade off that we have to even understand. And uh, that's the hard part for us as consumers and definitely us as middle ground kind of enthusiasts, where we're probably above the average consumer in terms of how invested we are in all these different things. Um, so it's it's a hard conversation. We've had it off and on, so I don't want to dig too much further in there. And I have a few games I want to run through, but AI is going to end up being a weird thing. Uh, as for Power World, though, I'll have to uh, eventually try it out. So uh, just just out of sheer curiosity, because uh, even my my bud plays messaged me and was like, "Hey, have you heard of Power World?" He's like, "I'm sure you have, but it looks really fun." You should hop <laughs> on because I was talking to Blake that we should play it. Should make uh, homies play some Pokemon with guns. It's look. The, I think the best compliment I can give this game is, first of all, the best compliment I can give this game is I'm playing it on my Xbox. <laughs> and the second yeah. compliment I can get the game give the game is that I haven't looked at the achievements once. I haven't wondered what the trophies are going to be like. I've just been like, yo, I'm hitting a lamb in the head with a bat. And that's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I just got, uh, I just got guns. Well, not for me, but like I have this little guy and he looks just like Trico. It's a little aggressive, but yeah, the little lizard dude. Yeah. You can yeah. build this, you get this thing called, um, pal, uh, uh, upgrade bench. You have a bunch of different benches you build stuff on and on that bench, you can build upgrades for your pals. So like the best pal I have, I have this upgrade where he's always out of his pokeball and following me. So he's always in battle, which means I can always have two people in battle, but this, the little toad, it, it's just called um, Frogettes AK-47. <laughs> and when you hit X as his special move in battle, he just pulls out an AK and is just blasting at the other Pokemon and the enemies around the, the world. It's really funny. Oh, it's so boy. funny. What I love is because of the communication and how games have went and you've lived your entire life playing Pokemon, do you notice how you just made Pokeball your choice? Like, Kleenex instead of tissue. You're like, no, yeah. there's a there's a name brand for how Dude, I capture my monster. <laughs> it's very funny because I was watching um, Charlie M Critical um, talk about <laughs> M Critical <laughs> <laughs> talk about um, Howard who was streaming it, and oh, they were boy. just calling it Pokemon and Pokeballs and potions and all this kind of stuff. Like they were just using the Pokemon terms for it. So. Well, dude, but that's like the terminology that you that you correlate to these mechanics and these ideas. Like, I get it. It's just, it's funny. Yeah, it's, no, absolutely. That's how it goes. It is really um, good. I recommend it. <clears throat> all right. Well, let me run through mine real quick that uh, we've been on this a little longer than I anticipated. Uh, but two weeks worth of games, man. There's plenty to talk about there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first and foremost, 
I just beat and Platinum Prince of Persia Lost Crown today at lunch. Uh, incredible game. So good. I am glad to see Prince of Persia not be afraid to go back or really the developers not be afraid to take Prince of Persia back to its side scroller roots and really dig into a Metroidvania-like design for it. I think it was a good call. And I think that there's a lot of great things that they did with it. Variations on existing mechanics, coming up with new mechanics like the memory shards, uh, which is a cool idea. As we all know in any Metroidvania, there are parts where you are... um, there's a skill you don't have that you need in order to progress through this area. And usually you kind of go, oh, damn, I'll have to remember where this is at. But what I really like about this game is that for different chests and treasures and hidden spots or whatever, you can take a picture Mm-hmm. with what's called a memory shard and it leaves an eyeball on the map and you can hover over it and see an exact picture of what it was. You have a limited number of them and you can find more of them as you go along in treasure chest. But it's a really cool idea to solve the, oh, now I have to kind of really remember the map. It's it's a, one of those ideas that's so simple, you can't believe no one st- stumbled into it before, but it had to happen somewhere and it happened for Prince of Persia, baby. So... <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the combat is incredible. Uh, I think it is among the best Metroidvanias and, and probably should be spoken of pretty similarly in the veins of something like a uh, uh, a Hollow Knight, if I may be so bold. I don't think it's quite there, but it's damn close. It's really good combat. And what I thought was really cool about it is um, it's kind of got, in a, in a side-scroller fashion, their approach to the way mechanics are used is very much in line with the way I think that like something like Tears of the Kingdom approached mechanics, where it's like, we're just going to give you mechanics and we're not going to stop them from being interworked with each other. So whatever you can imagine that you can pull off of these mechanics, here you go. And uh, I did some crazy stuff with some of the mechanics that you get with the game uh, from, the, uh, from the power sets that you get involving. And not only is some of it really unique, interesting ideas, some of it's twist on things you've seen from Prince of Persia games. Sometimes it's twist on things you've seen from other games, but being able to really have a level of control with not only the platforming, the puzzle solving, but also the combat is incredible. And I think that they did an amazing job. So um, great game. Definitely should try it out. It's a good 10 to 15 hour story, depending on how good or bad, how good the game you are. And the upside is it's only $50. So I think it's priced accordingly. Getting the platinum took me probably about 30 hours. Um, I think that's a, a crazy value. And my real takeaway from it, I see no way in which this game had a massive budget. Mm. And I think that that's good because at no point was I ever thinking, oh, I wish this game was something else. I wish this game was bigger. It felt like it was purposely built around this idea of like, can we make a smaller game? Can we take this IP that's kind of been uh, languishing and do something with it that's more budget friendly, but still gets a good response? And it brings up one very important question for me, uh, or one very important thing. It's kind of a curiosity. Years ago, if you've been listening to the podcast, you'll probably remember that what I hoped we'd see from PS Plus kind of restructuring would be Sony kind of choosing, and, and Chris has mentioned something to this idea as well, taking some of their publishers or even buying some publishers and giving them IP and being like, here, make something with this IP that's slightly different. And we always talked about interesting ideas of like, what about a third-person shooter kill zone game? You know, mm-hmm. what about a resistance uh, XCOM style game where it's all resistance, but it's just XCOM. And that's a cool idea, right? And 
as I'm playing this game, there's so much that is very clearly inspired by God of War that I'm like, why has Sony not deemed it worthy even when they were doing PSP games? I know the answer. But why do we not have a Metroidvania God of War game? We have a Metroidvania fucking Batman game and we don't have a Metroidvania God of War. And that's the kind of games that Sony could make if they had... I say if they had invested. Now, maybe they don't see the worth of it. But I just think it's really cool to look at this and be like, yeah, you could totally make a super compelling God of War game that kind of bridges the gap between its old school beat-em-up, uh, you know, hack-and-slash style roots and something a little more, you know, different, not quite going back to that entirely. So I'd, I'd love that to see that. That would be a great way to make your Atreus game and not annoy the shit out of me. One hundred percent. Actually, yeah. It's a, and then you could, you could have it be where because archery tends to work better on a side scrolling plane anyway because you don't have to worry about the extra dimension if you want gameplay to still be quick and snappy because in Prince of Persia you have a bow. Yeah. So it feels very in line with that. Um, but moving along, great game. You should definitely try it out. Uh, I, I bought like Hot Wheels Unleashed too. Finally. Oh yeah, you did play a little bit of it. How far did you get? Like time wise, um, roughly. Half an hour, I just unlocked the memory shards. Oh, okay. Yeah. Man, there's so much for you to do. I hope you come back to it. I'd be very curious to talk to you about it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like okay. it. It's fun. Uh, well, Chris, Hot Wheels Unleashed 2. I noticed mm. that you played a little bit after you and I. Chris hopped on and helped me with it. Uh, I got the platinum in that game at like breakneck speed. <laughs> yeah, that was very fast. I was impressed. Honestly, Prince of Persia. I got it pretty quick, but being snowed in without much to do and a daughter with the flu, I couldn't go anywhere or do anything. So it's just kind of like, okay, I'm going to play more Prince of Persia (laughs) (laughs) and I'm going to play more Hot Wheels. So um, yeah, Hot Wheels Unleashed 2 is awesome. Most of the ideas that I think worked from the first game survived and made their way through. Um, And then some of the things that probably needed to be supplemented or changed has been added in outdoor mechanics, big environments that you can fully uh, you know, go around because they made an event where you get to just freely drive around and find the quickest route to checkpoints uh, that's completely free of tracks. I thought that was a cool idea. Um, kind of making it a little bit more like a kart racer where you build boosts entirely off of drifting. You can use that boost to do different things as well as being able to just ram your enemy off the track. So it's, it feels like I'm playing Hot Wheels Motorstorm, <laughs> <laughs> which is very cool. Uh, I quite liked it. Great racing as the last one. Uh, Milestone are a great developer, and hopefully they'll they'll keep making stuff. Um, then we move into playing Wanted a while back. I think I, I mentioned on last episode how Wanted just felt like siphon filter, like the dad looked <laughs> like he was in Logan's armor and all sorts of stuff. Uh, and so I wanted to go back to siphon filter, uh, Dark Mirror and, and Logan Shadow. So I, I did Dark Mirror first, and I've beaten it and platinumed it. Um, and... Man, it, it kind of goes to show you where budget and just what you choose to prioritize in game can change a lot of things. Because like Wanted is a PS3 game, so it clearly looks much more like flashy. Its presentation is a lot better in, in that regard. But one of the things that always annoyed me, and I'm curious if you ran into it, Chris, is that you could be in Wanted and you could be aiming and you could see your enemy's head clearly visible from behind cover. But no matter how many times you shot, dead at their head because they were behind cover the game was just like nope yep yep now this is what got me 
Dark uh, Dark Mirror came out in 2006 on PSP. Way more limited power. And yeah. if the smallest part of their body is sticking out to where you can see it from behind cover, you can hit it. Okay. Thought that was pretty impressive. There are parts where you can shoot through chain link fence. And if you hit the fence, it does the bullet doesn't go through. And if you hit between it, the bullet goes through. Also quite impressive for a PSP game. True. Rails on the side of like water towers and stuff from really far away, you can shoot between the very little cracks and hit them in the head. It's kind of interesting what took priority. One was, of course, a game backed by Sony with a means to try and push people onto buying their platform. But I also just think it's like what was important to you. Because Logan Shadow was made in a year, and it came Mm -hmm. out in 2007, a year after Dark Mirror. And they pushed it even further. I started Logan Shadow today um, because I was like, well, what else do I want to play? And so I'm going to knock that out. But I remembered Logan Shadow... Dark Mirror ha- does no water segments at all. And I think it's because it was very early PSP and they didn't know how to pull off water and didn't know how they built. But by the time they get around the Logan Shadow, the entire beginning of the game is like, fuck yeah, we're doing water stuff. You can dive, you can shoot enemies underwater, all these different things. We've refined the mechanics. And it's great to see that. And I think it goes to just show budget, pressure from different people all comes into what makes your game kind of work differently. And I thought it was very interesting that from a mechanical level, Siphon Filter on PSP kicks Wanted's ass except for where Wanted has bullet curving. (laughs) That bullet curving is a big factor. (laughs) It's pretty cool though, yeah. But it's like I was saying, like the game just kind of feels like a serviceable shooter, barely. Uh, But Siphon Filter has cover fire, it has blind fire. It has like everything that you'd expect uh, and just and more. So I thought that was pretty interesting. But you know what else came about as I was playing Logan Shadow today? I miss quick iteration in games. Yeah. Because the cool thing about playing Dark Mirror and Logan Shadow so close to each other is I get to see where in a one-year period, they look, they said, you know what worked in Dark Mirror and worked really well for us? And while the graphical leap isn't quite as crazy because it's only a one-year period, what we can do is any of the weird little complaints people had in that game, we can solve in a very quick way with our next game. And now, that doesn't really happen. If you go, uh, I kind of like this, but in Spider-Man, I thought that this was kind of rough. And so now you got to wait five years or four years before you get to play that with improved mechanics because that's just how games... Are, are taking now and there's something really cool about being able to go this worked really well in this game this didn't work quite as well in one year or two years we'll be able to play a version where we really reiterated the mechanics and it's something very similar to what you remembered but n- not enough time has passed for this to feel outdated and we've been able to improve on these mechanics and make them better you know we talked about chris you liked horizon zero dawn correct yes but then you played forbidden west and you kind of just couldn't come to grips with it, right? Right. Okay. Now, I think we kind of talked about how the game, and I'm, this is not even me, I, I enjoyed Forbidden West, but I think when you have to wait five years for a sequel, one of the things that happens is in five years, the mechanics only really still see the same amount of improvement as you used to see from a one-year to two-year development window. And now that's taking five years, and enough has happened in the gaming world in that five-year period where those jumps don't feel as strong. So would you say, Chris, to some degree, Horizon just kind of felt like you'd been there, done that, and not enough had changed in that period to draw you to play it? Or what would you say pulled you out of it? Um, 
it was just kind of the same game I played, I guess. You know, that's and that's kind of my point. That's fine on a one to two year development, like a release schedule. But waiting five years for that, it feels like that should be like a a, a jump where you're like, holy shit, can't believe that. You know, this is the follow up to this. Absolutely. I just think that development times make iterative game design super complicated. Yeah, exactly. You can't you can't make strides when you're basically because you're basically starting the game with the knowledge you had before, which is a problem. Right. You're not iterating. You're like, we have five years. We have to start today. We just released our 2013 game. And this launches in 2018, so we can't. We don't have time to learn anything because this is going to take five years. So we have to start. Let's go, 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 go. You know, and that can't be yeah. good. Yeah, and I'm sure they learned something, but it's also it's a sequel. So you want it to kind of play like the last game because it's what you make a sequel for. It's more of what you loved about the first game. Mm-hmm. But that just feels like it gets a little harder to pull off when you're waiting five years between games. And, and I guess what I kind of mean by that is like Alan's Wake Two is a great example. Alan's Wake 2 does take the combat from Alan Wake 1 in a very rudimentary sense and improves on it. And you can see a clear connection. But Alan Wake 2 does so much more from a combat perspective to that series that you go, yeah, this feels worth the wait. This worth this feels worth the, the 12, 13-year wait that we had to have between these games. Yeah. And I don't think you quite saw that from other ones. And I don't mean that as a bad thing. I still enjoyed the parts of those games that were such shining examples, like God of War's story and Horizon's story and Horizon's beautiful world and really big open world. Depending on what you like, it's still there. But I feel like the way you interact with it becomes a little more noticeable. Um, But two more games I'm going to shout out real quick, uh, or really one more game. I have never really played Resogun. And I have two things to say about it. First and foremost... It's fucking hard, <laughs> at least on Vita. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am at the third level or like the third you know, boss that you fight, and I cannot get through it without fucking up. Uh, <laughs> and I think it's because I'm also heavily focusing on trying to save all the humans, which I, I don't even know what the trophies are for this game. I just downloaded it and started playing it. It's very fun, very addictive. And when you die, you immediately want to be like, fuck, I got to run again. I can do a little bit better. Um, I see, all I'm saying is I catch the hype. I understand it now, but I've ne- I played it one other time <laughs> on PS4 <laughs> uh, separately, and it was for that uh, competition that we did whenever Saul and I did kind of a three-leg competition where uh, we did a shooting game, and whoever won that you know, got a point, and we did a, um, a, we did a racing game. So it was Gran Turismo Sport, uh, Call of Duty, Advanced Warfare, I think, and then Resogun. Uh, to see, you know, who did best on each one of them, and whoever won, you know. So it, it was a it was a fun time. It was before your time, though, Chris. Ugh. So so old. I I played it then, <clears throat> and I haven't played it since. So I was just wow. kind of on my Vita, thinking like, what do I have? And I've had that game forever, never played it. So it's great. I love it. So I'm glad you're playing it. It's a good time. Yeah, uh, but look, we've been in that long enough. Let's go ahead and start sliding into the news. The first piece is really quick. Now, normally you may be thinking, we go into the community stake here. We're going to save that for a piece of news that is a little bit more entwined with that. So going into this first piece of news, uh, PS Plus is saying goodbye to some games in February of 24. So the exiting Entourage, uh, it's that bittersweet time again. A handful of games are packing their digital suitcases and waving goodbye to PS Plus Extra and Premium. It's like a season finale where we're not sure if there'll be a sequel. Here's a star-studded list. So Tacoma, uh, that's unfortunate. 
mm-hmm. course. Tacoma's a great Actually, game. Actually, a, a great game, yes. Resident Evil 7, Biohazard, interestingly enough. Uh, Tekken 7, Ace Combat 7, Skies Unknown for PS4, Oninaki uh, from PS4. And actually, let me look up picture. Is Oninaki the game I think it is? Yeah. Interesting. I actually didn't know that was on there. That's kind of unfortunate. Lost Sphere, another JRPG. I Am Setsuna, one more of those. Thomas Was Alone, Hugh for PS4, and Lost Words Beyond the Page for PS4. So that is your last call for gaming fun in relation to those games. Remember, this is the last call for PS Plus. Of course, you can still play them any other way. It's like the lights coming on at the end of a party. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Uh, at least not with these games. <laughs> so let's give them a proper send off. One more play, one more round, and maybe one more, just five more minutes, Bob. Works so hard on all of those. Chris. Did you? I did. Was you I supposed to read, read the description? <laughs> no, I'll go fuck myself. All my work, though, that's fine. All right, cool, Chris. When you're done fucking yourself, you can come back to the podcast, okay? All right, I'm here. Yeah. I'm you ever back. hear the... The Lonely Island skit, Watch Me Do Me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right, next piece of news. Uh, Hopefully, I can read this to perfection to keep Chris's ego intact. Um, Easter Egg and The Last of Us 2 Remastered, a Killzone-themed T-shirt featured in The Last of Us 2 Remastered, has reignited fan interest in the Killzone series. This small nod has sparked discussions and hopes among fans for a new game. The t-shirt has led to a mix of nostalgia and disappointment among fans who are eagerly expressing their desire for a new Killzone title on social media. Guerrilla Games, the studio behind Killzone, is currently focused on the Horizon series with multiple projects in development, including a TV series adaptation. This shift in focus makes the prospect of a new Killzone game unlikely in the near future. Sony's current infamous uh, emphasis on a blockbuster title, uh, aligns with Gorilla's focus on the Horizon series. Additionally, the official Killzone website was retired in 2021, further indicating the franchise's current status. Despite the seeming unlikelihood of a new game, the persistent fan interest in Killzone maintains a glimmer of hope for the franchise's future. And something interesting to note with this news, it doesn't point to Killzone at all. It could, but it's not a direct point. But we've still not seen or heard or looked at anything that looks to be the result of the Rainbow Six Siege uh, head joining the second team at Guerrilla to work on what was, you know, I don't know if it was reported or if it was just rumored to be a shooter game. So to that end, what is that game? Because it seems really unlikely that the Rainbow Six Siege combat designer would be like, hey... Or, you know, Ed would come over and be like, I'm going to make a Horizon game. It's not impossible, but it seems unlikely. So what do you make of that, Chris? Do you think that there's – what what smoke do you think is supposed to be coming from him joining that second team? We've not seen anything from their second team yet. Well, wasn't it – I thought it was rumored as a shooter, but I there's also new um, rumors of that Killzone multiplayer game, which that could just very well be what he's doing over there. Well, there was rumors. So, you know, rumors are what they are. They're not very substantial, but it definitely sounded like it was supposed to be a a shooter game. And a lot of people seem to get on to the idea of it being a SOCOM game. Because I think the idea is that if you move off of something, like why would you be seeking out the talents of Rainbow Six Siege's developer unless you wanted him to work on your own in-house shooting game that was going to be focused towards realism uh, to a, a decent degree? 
And so with that in mind, Sony's best IP for that is going to be SOCOM. Mm -hmm. So I understand the inclination to want to say this is probably what this is pointing to. Um, But I think also I understand the intuition that it's probably Killzone related because they have a history with Killzone. But I think the reality is that at its height, I think SOCOM was bigger than Killzone ever was, uh, unfortunately. And Killzone doesn't really have as much name recognition as Sony probably hopes. So I don't think that there's an obvious answer in either direction as to what this could be. And of course, the chances that it could be a new IP are always there. If it is a new IP, how do you, what do you even think that they'd be going for? Something Rainbow Six Siege-esque? Or do you think it's just a shooter and they just wanted someone who's good at shooting? To, it could to just along? be a shooter. I don't know that his hiring indicates anything, you know. Would be like yeah. Sony hiring Herman Holst instead of him being in house, and then people are like, "Oh, he's making a that's the guy behind Killzone. He's making a shooter, and then he makes Horizon." You know who knows? Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna check it out real quick. So, Guerrilla recruits Rainbow Six Siege multiplayer developers for an unannounced game. That's uh, that's what the original kind of rumor mill was showing, and this is back in 2018. So this has been a long time brewing for whatever it is that they're making. Whew. Okay. You know, take it in your fantasy draft? No, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's going to be one of my pickups. I'm just, you know. <laughs> Unannounced second Killzone or second Gorilla game. Yeah, don't be wrong. As someone who loves Killzone and it revisited it, I would love to see Killzone come back around. But I think you also have to go... Would I love to see Killzone come back around in a capacity that's not really what I'm looking for? And I think the answer is no. Like I love Killzone's multiplayer, but I love Killzone specifically and most strongly because of its story and its campaigns and its world. Uh, I would be excited for them to be like, hey, Killzone's back and it's an online-only you know, live service game. But I'd probably barely play it and be like, okay, that was a little fun and then probably never touch it again. And it wouldn't really live mm-hmm. in my memory in the same way as the rest of the series. So it's like, sometimes it's that like, pick your battles and like, you know, would I rather this series kind of die knowing that it at least had a, an identity or do I want them to bastardize that identity and come back and ruin it in a, in a live service environment? Yeah. I mean, they will, but they could. So what is it, the old devil you know versus the devil you don't? Mm-hmm. If it's grass, dead, at least I know where it's at. <laughs> exactly. The grass is so, not always greener. It's true. Sometimes it's blue. Uh, just ask people from Kentucky. So, Chris, the next thing here is probably the bigger thing of the – I think we're going to have a lot of conversations spurring off this. So, uh, Yoshida reiterated Sony's commitment to bringing PlayStation games to a range of platforms beyond the traditional console. This expansion includes PC, mobile, and cloud platforms, indicating a strategic move to diversify the PlayStation experience. Despite the expansion, Yoshida affirmed that PlayStation will continue to be Sony's core product. The aim is to make gaming experiences seamless and ubiquitous, allowing players to enjoy their favorite games across various devices and locations. Addressing the trend towards gaming subscription services, Yoshida expressed a belief in a balanced or hybrid model for the PlayStation Network. This approach would combine subscription services with pay-per-content options, differing from the all-you-can-eat model seen in video streaming services. Yoshida also commented on the impact of Microsoft's active... uh, 
acquisition of Activision Blizzard, uh, emphasizing the importance of healthy competition in the gaming industry. Sony aims to provide gamers with diverse options to play, continuing its efforts to offer top-tier gaming experiences. Sony's foray into cloud gaming is still in its early stages, which sounds crazy considering that they started it <laughs> with PS5 <laughs> games only recently becoming available over cloud streaming. Additionally, mobile gaming being a significant platform presents an opportunity for Sony to leverage its IPs in a new market. So before we actually get into that, I kind of want to dig into this a bit because I think for a long time, there's, a, there's, there's hints of what Microsoft was saying five years ago in here. I think that's a fair assessment of what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Microsoft has been down this road. This is how they explained why they wanted to start going into PC, why they wanted to expand their ability to do cloud gaming onto phones and now smart TVs. Uh, and I think we've long been saying, realistically, the idea of the future of gaming, at least from a platform place, is that it's going to be a little less, at the very least, about the console and the machine and a lot more about the platform and so at the end of the day everybody who is in the platform game does stand at least some benefit to attempt to bring themselves over into as many devices so that they're as diversified as possible and that they can hopefully drive business back towards themselves so um one thing that came across twitter the other day that i thought was interesting i don't know how old it was it was sean Layden. Uh, guesting on a podcast and they were talking to him about um, PlayStation games coming to PC and kind of what the thought process of that was when he was still with the company uh, in the early days of that starting to happen with like Horizon and Days Gone and how he was kind of part of moving those forward. And I thought all he really did was affirm a lot of what we talked about, but I think hearing him discuss it in the way he did gave a little bit more credence to what Sony was really looking for, at least under his tutelage. Uh, and what he said was the very obvious part of you have people who have already chosen where they play. They've already chosen their thing and they already didn't chose Sony for some reason. So he goes, if you take some of your best selling big games that people talk about and after they've kind of run through their market to where you're not going to see a lot of retail activity um, on them, you're not really trading one cell for another cell or anything. You're just kind of taking something that's nearing end of its own lifespan uh, and saying, okay, let's move it over to the PC. And what that does is gives an environment for these people to go, okay, you, you chose to not get a PlayStation, but here's a glimpse into what's happening over on PlayStation and mm-hmm. you can play it. And he, so he, wait, the way he looked at it is he said, it's a, it's a, a no loss scenario. It's a win. No matter what you can't lose. And it makes sense because you're, you're going to sit People are buying the game on that platform anyway. You're making your money just from people buying it. And the question that was asked to him is, is the thought process that people playing those games will then choose to buy a PS4 or a PS5 in the future to experience the follow-ups to those games? And he said, not all of them, but some of right. them. Yeah. And I think it's really important to hear them clarify that it's not a numbers game. It's just because you can't lose, people are buying to play the game already at best – at worst, you've gotten their money from just letting them play a game that you poured it over, bam. Mm-hmm. At best, you have a small percentage of people that you can bring into something in your market that were just not interested in it prior. Absolutely. And so with that in mind, then you kind of extrapolate that out. That makes sense here. If you're bringing your games to PC, mobile, and cloud, and all these different things, cloud still really, to some degree, let me, let me back up. Cloud itself doesn't, but... Um, 
remote play requires you to have PlayStation already. So yep. you're already in. And that's just a way to, like Yoshida said, um, hey, we're going to allow you to enjoy your game in a different device in a different location, but still focusing on PlayStation. Um, PC, they're already doing. Mobile, they're kind of doing. And then cloud, I think what we're seeing here is just the same approach scaled in different directions to be like, the more we can get people to think about PlayStation and be involved in PlayStation, we can lure them into the main PlayStation ecosystem, ideally on the main PlayStation console. But what's your thought process here with this? Do you think that this is any kind of bad? Do you think some of the people that were looking at Microsoft and saying this is bad for Microsoft, do you think that sentiment should be shared here? Or do you think that the uh, wisdom of seeing five years of the market change and grow kind of makes this be like, a okay, this makes sense? Um, I think it's the wisdom of seeing the market grow. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it makes a ton of sense to put your games everywhere they can go. Um me personally, it just uh, entirely depends on what you're going for. Like I've always said, I think that Game Pass going or <clears throat> Xbox games going everywhere would probably end up being a good thing for Microsoft as a company because you, you got to think like they said in the FTC trial that Starfield would sell 10 million copies on Xbox or on PlayStation. So it seems to be clear that the more places you can have yourself, the better. It's just up to you as a publisher to decide uh, how much you value the exclusivity of your console, right? Because I do think there's some value in being like, this is not going anywhere else. Like, you don't have to worry about Starfield on PlayStation, you know? Buy an Xbox and Starfield's here. I do think that's a huge selling point. Yeah, but I also see the value of hey, buy an Xbox and Starfield tier, but it's also on your PC and you can also play it on your phone. Mm-hmm. Like that's, there's a, there's a, there's an immediate like, oh, cool. It's a, it's a good value proposition. I don't have to stop just because I've left the house. I don't have to stop just because I've left the room that my console was in or I, or I don't have to stop because I left the room I placed my, my, my PC is in. I can continue on my Xbox with a slightly different experience in my PC, but still the same. Um, and Sony's been kind of, tickling around with that in that interesting way of like Sony kind of came in the cloud before everyone did. Mm-hmm. And somehow they seem to be behind everyone right now, which seems kind of uh, baffling to say. Um, but let's kind of move in, uh, Chris, unless you want to kind of talk a little bit more about this in particular. No, um, I think it's going to couple kind of well with two things, both the community's take, but also before we get into the community's take, a, a brief discussion around something that recently came up uh, last week and kind of into this week okay. uh, about Ubisoft. So Ubisoft uh, was kind of the, uh, maybe the victim of <laughs> sensationalism within the, uh, <laughs> the potentially sometimes toxic gaming uh, landscape, at least on like, you know, social media. But I think if you look at what was said in this interview with uh, games.biz and any real news place that was kind of using this and reporting on this, I think there was some, you know, a, a, a clear look at what was going on. So in, res- in discussion around, uh, Ubisoft and how they're doing right now and I'm talking about the fact that they do have uh, a subscription model and it's doing well for them and where is it growing and they actually mentioned that the vast majority of their numbers are still 
you know, people buying games to own uh, and not subscription. But at one point, they were asked about uh, the subscription model. So the question, this is directly from the article, by the way. The mm-hmm. question remains around the potential of the subscription model in games. Tremblay says that there is, quote, tremendous opportunity for growth, quote. But what is it going to take for subscription to step up and become a more significant proportion of the industry? So pause real quick. Mind you, he's being asked what it would take for the industry to push more into the subscription model and have that be a bigger part of the market. His response, quote, I don't have a crystal ball, but when you look at the different subscription services that are out there, we've had a rapid expansion over the last couple of years, but it's still relatively small compared to other models. He quote, he begins, we're seeing expansion on console as the likes of PlayStation and Xbox bring new people in on PC from a Ubisoft standpoint. It's already been great, but we are looking to reach out more on PC. So we see opportunity there. One of the things we saw is that gamers are used to, a little bit like DVD, having and owning their games. That's the consumer shift that needs to happen. They got comfortable not owning their CD collection or DVD collection. That's a transformation that's been a bit slower to happen in games. As gamers grow comfortable in that aspect, you don't lose your progress. If you resume your game at another time, your progress file is still there. That's not been deleted. You don't lose what you've built in the game or your engagement with the game. So it's about feeling comfortable with not owning your game. I still have two boxes of DVDs. I definitely understand the gamer's perspective with that. But as people embrace that model, they will see that these games will exist. The service will continue and you'll be able to access them when you feel like that's reassuring. Uh, last thing he says, streaming is also a thing that works really well with subscription. So you pay when you need it as opposed to paying all the time. So Chris and I, or Chris kind of, we had a, a quick conversation in the Discord about it mm. uh, because we were talking around how certain news places framed it, how certain people took it, how some of it may have been being unfair and looking at something out of context. Um and to that end, what I will say is most of what was being, of course, the, the capture that you'd see, the little brief quote was, you'll have to get comfortable with not owning your games. Right. And of course, that immediate look brings about a certain amount of backlash for people who are unwilling to read the entire article in the entire context. But I think what came about, Chris, and I'd like to kind of hear your your view on this, but there was this idea of it being so out of context and wildly out of context that it was unfair to criticize Ubisoft at all in this because they were just answering a question about what would move that in that direction. And while I think that's a little fair and I see where the the core of that comes from, I'd kind of like to hear your view on it and how you looked at it and then kind of compare and contrast how how we look at it and see either how close we are or how far apart we are and how we actually look at this and uh, how we view the ability to kind of uh, confront Ubisoft in relation to it? Um, Well, I think the biggest thing that I took umbrage with was people being like, oh, fuck Ubisoft. They're trying to get away from selling us games and they don't want us to own our games where I think actually reading the article, you would know that he's not really even saying that. Right. Because it's one of those things, right, where <clears throat> if I looked at you and I said, oh, what's the, you know, what's the way that electric cars would be the most popular calls of cars of all time? 
and you looked at me and your answer was, well, we stopped selling gas. You know what I mean? And it's like, okay, like that's, that's the correct answer. <laughs> that doesn't mean that Elon Musk is trying to get rid of gas, you know, at least not in the main. And I think that's the thing is right. You can take this as Ubisoft might want to get rid of you owning your games, which they probably do. Right. Like mm-hmm. it's better for them overall if you're subscribed to Ubisoft Plus for $19.99 a month for the rest of your life rather than buying one Far Cry game every 10 years for 60 bucks. So I think that's where I went with it. And I think the biggest issue I had with the way it was talked about is that a lot of the way it was talked about was just like blatantly wrong. And if people had read the article they cited, they would realize like, Ubisoft was not saying you have to get used to not owning your games because that's where the industry is going. They were saying if streaming was going to take most of the industry away and make them mostly a streaming customers, what would have to happen? And the correct answer is people would have to get used to not owning games. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I think that's fair. Um, I think, you know, where the conversation kind of happened in the Discord was uh, Rude Days 93, if I'm not mistaken, Kind of talking about how uh, I think he mentioned something to the degree that I think Colin mentioned something about it mm-hmm. being taken out of context, which I think I, th- I think it's fair to say that I, I don't know what Colin said exactly. So of course I'm, I'm paraphrasing through him, and I think maybe you I think you listen to uh, Sacred Symbols, um, I and I love Colin. I just I don't listen to other podcasts that do the same thing for a number of reasons. Time. I don't want, I want to know that I'm not just copying what they're saying and that what I'm thinking of is just coming from my head. <laughs> but in that, I think, yeah, it's clear to be able to say like, look, make sure that your own individual reaction as a, as someone who follows news is not to just look at what the blurb said without reading the article. And I think that's very important because it is mm-hmm. to say that your response should be tempered with what he was actually trying to say. Now, what I kind of, I wouldn't say I took umbrage with, but where I kind of what I asserted was that uh, it was taken out of context to a degree, and I agree with that. But I also think, to some degree, there's only so far that that can be removed from its context because the question that they were being asked, as well as the answer, both contain enough insular context to give you an idea of what they're saying. Uh, so it's important to kind of front load that with saying, yes, I agree with Chris. And no point is this Ubisoft blatantly saying we are 100% moving away from selling games, get used to it or, you know, get lost. Uh, <laughs> that is not what they're saying. But I think if you really read the full interview and you Look, and you know, you, you hear that excerpt, and there actually is a little bit more in there in the interview with games.biz that I implore you to go read if this interests you. Um, but to look at it, what I was saying is that realistically, for anyone who criticizes Ubisoft here, insofar as talking about from a personal perspective, because you can go out of it and say, okay, nothing about subscription services are inherently good or bad, nothing about preferring physical media or a subscription service is inherently good or bad. That all changes based on who is seeing this information and how you feel about physical media and digital ownership. And uh, there's a conversation about games preservation in there and whether or not there will really be preserved. But I think if you look at his full quote and you think about what's being said, the context is still really in line with the shortened thing, which is that Ubisoft sees this as what would make this business do better 
and clearly at multiple points in the interview or in this response, he hints at this not being a bad thing. So what you can kind of extrapolate from that reasonably is that Ubisoft has no problem with gaming moving closer and closer and closer to removing the ability to own games, not necessarily in a way that's to control, but just because that market grows so much that they don't see the need to participate in the other one anymore. Mm. Um, And to that end, you can criticize Ubisoft for viewing it in a way that's that positive if you have a particular belt to grind about physical games and the importance of that or the importance of ownership like i often talk about where even with buying a digital game you don't actually own it Uh, you own it in a slightly more tangible way than you do a subscription service game but not a whole lot more and so all of those things as you go along just means that the individual looking at it is going to really kind of give the end stone to the context uh, and I think it's fair to say I don't like Ubisoft's stance on where this goes because it means they're willing to participate in driving the market toward that if they see value in it. To that end, I think that's fine. And it, it's okay to criticize Ubisoft here so long as you at least minimally understand what you're criticizing. And for the most part, as crude as it is, that little blurb of Ubisoft says we ha- they ha- you have to get used to not owning your games – in a very short way, that is their stance. Not in an inherently bad or negative or evil way. It's just what they're saying. And and they're okay with it, but it doesn't have to go that way. But how and that you, they're willing to participate in either version of the market. How can you make that inference, though? Uh, how so? Do you, did you mean just from the short or, or in general from reading the thing? Just so I kind of know. Both. Because, mm-hmm. again, he's answering the question. Yeah, if he, if he, he had said this, because again, I think you're using the blatantly obvious answer to the question as an assumption on where they'd like the industry to go. And uh, there no, is no, no. no. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, please. So I, I get what you, you mean, but I, I think that there's very specific wordings in here. So I think the first thing you can tell is that in his response, if you read the full mm-hmm. response, he front loads the entire response to talking about Ubisoft's participation in the subscription service market, how it's grown, how it's been a boon to them. That's how he starts it. Mm-hmm. So he's already painting it in a way as if Ubisoft is very friendly with the that idea, that version of the market and that and looking at it while also noting that the market is not overwhelmingly in that direction yet, right? That's where he starts. And if you keep hearing him actually talk about it, again, it is the blatant answer, but if you hear them talk about it, he he talks about how these other industries shifted and people got away from moving that and you don't, and then he starts selling you the product of a subscription service, right? He, in this thing, it specifically says, uh, as you go comfortable in that aspect, you don't lose your progress, you know, if, if you resume your game at another time, your progress is still there. And he starts selling you this idea of a subscription and why it's okay to not own your game because it's still there. He even goes as far as to say that the service will continue. You'll still be able to access them anytime you feel like. And to that end, I think it's pretty clear that Ubisoft is selling you the subscription model future, or at least this representative of Ubisoft is doing so within the context of his response, which is buoyed by the context of the question asked to him. All in the fact that they're clearly okay with it. And that's fine. Outside of in a bubble, you know, just kind of looking in, that's fine. But as an individual who can read it and go, oh, okay, that's not the way I feel about game ownership or preservation or whatever. So therefore, I want to use my voice to criticize the their eagerness or at least, a, you know, 
participating in this, I can criticize that. Does that make sense? And maybe it's because we're talking about two different things, but I think it's okay for the individual to criticize it. And it's not being lost in context, even in, in the, the micro, you know, if you kind of pull it back. So are you talking more about like social media uproar or how it's getting tossed around or what? No, I don't know. I mean, I feel like you've answered the question as well as you can. To me, it just seems like casting anything on this beyond, you know, I don't know. I I don't know how to explain why I feel like this doesn't indicate anything because he also talks about whatever. Um, To me, it's just kind of like if you were like, oh, the newly established rescue department really benefited from Massachusetts falling into a sinkhole. And (laughs) they asked the guy, hey, what would benefit you guys? And he looks at you and goes, well, California falling into a sinkhole. You know, that doesn't mean that he wants California to fall into a sinkhole. He's trying to tell you, this is what is good about streaming. This is what we do love about streaming. And it is a help to us. But in the same quote that we read, he talks about, we still want you to be able to own your games. I still understand that. Sure. You still, I still own DVDs. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? I'm not sitting here saying that they don't want you to subscribe or yeah. they don't want you to use a subscription service. What I'm taking umbrage with is the idea that He's Ubisoft is owning a game, which I agree. Doctor eviling it behind the thing, like, <laughs> oh, if this guy asks us a direct question, we're gonna push killing physical games. I don't think that's a real thing. I feel no, I like reading so into it is a little odd because yeah. again, again, again. It, the for me, just the fact that he's being asked a direct question and answering it in a thoughtful way should not be some crazy indicator that Ubisoft is trying to push streaming services on the world. I just think that's that's nuts, and I think that's where social media went with it. And I also feel like that's kind of where, if you look at it past what he's saying, I think you're choosing to be a little doom and gloom about it if you think that's where they're trying to send the industry until they come out and they're like streaming services is where we make our money. We're done selling physical games. I think you're just reading it, not you in the Royal you, but I think people are just reading into it in a doom and gloom. Let's yell at Ubisoft today because Neil Druckmann hasn't stood in front of cameras yet. You know what I mean? So that's how I took the whole thing. Well, to simplify it, as you kind of talked, you, you talked about how, you know, if, if someone just looked and said, what would be the way to make electronic cars be the the best selling and kind of overtake? Mm-hmm. And the simple answer is to stop selling gas. Right. You're right. But now if you went on, if you went on and said, well, stop selling gas, but you know, I get it. I still have a car that has gas, but you know, like if you get an electric car, like pff, you can still plug your car in, you still go. I mean, you know, you could. And, and so what I'm saying is, is that it becomes a direct answer, which is the, again, the, the brutally honest, true answer of what would make people move or what would make the industry move more largely towards subscription services. The blank answer is people becoming more comfortable with not owning their games. You know that what is, this is? I it. think I've. I figured this out in my head, okay? Yeah. This, this this outrage is if you're when your wife says, Do these pants make me look fat? The outrage is you said yes. <laughs> <laughs> For some people, it probably is, but at least as far as I was looking at it, and it's not even an outrage for me, but as far as I want to be able to criticize Ubisoft's view on this, it's just that they're completely selling it as a 
not only are they commenting that this is how you get there, they're selling the idea in their response. They're, they're, sure. they're up talking it and, and a clear way to be like, well, we have skin in the game and we kind of want people to move towards it. And it's been beneficial to us. Ergo, yeah, you're not going to lose your progress. Like, you know, the service will be around forever. It'll never die. Again, <laughs> that's, I, yeah. No, so, I mean, look, I, that, yeah, that's not doom and gloom, but I think it's worthy of being able to say, like, I don't really love that. And I would prefer Ubisoft to not go far in that direction, if at all possible, as someone who has some interest in some of their IP. You know what I mean? I, I guess I just think it's funny for an industry that wants people to be candid and we're yelling about where's the Sony roadmap when someone is <laughs> candid and tells you exactly how the company sees things you're like oh yep. he sucks go fuck yourself not, again yeah. not not you in particular but understood understood all right well let's move along and kind of uh, get through the rest of this uh so the community's take that came around from that is kind of getting an idea of what you guys think about that so with subscription services being a topic of discussion of late where do you stand on the future of subscription services should they be additive supplemental or are you okay with replacing or with it replacing the traditional market uh so if you want to be part of the community's take remember you can follow us on the social media platform formerly known as Twitter. So X at Twitter S or sorry, at triangle S Q R D. You can find us uh, on discord in the link in the description below, which is our favorite way where you can join us as well as a lot of our other patrons and listeners who talk with us day in, day out uh, about gaming, music, TV, all sorts of things, uh, including the community's take section that we have where we ask and you have a clear spot to respond and give your thoughts on. Uh, we do Facebook, but you know, Facebook doesn't see a lot of activity. So that's not something I really am pushing hard, but that's, it's there if you really want it. <laughs> um, so uh, of course that question, as I said, uh, was around. So, I know we have a couple of different people who kind of interact with those things. So I was very interested to see what the responses were going to be. Um, and this time around, we got some responses from a few people. So we have uh, Evil Dead uh, Blake. He says, I don't want it to replace the ability to buy games, but I also don't think that will ever happen. Not that it matters much. If gamers or if games keep going online only anyways with the crew shutting down next month, by, for example, this feels like the start to all of these games we own not being playable. And that's an interesting uh, kind of splinter in the conversation of even buying a game that you own outright in this current market does not guarantee that game will still be able to function even five years from now. Uh, which is an interesting one, Chris, because I have that conversation when I'm thinking about like, oh, dude, it sucks. Like 20 years from now, there's a really strong chance I won't be able to play Gran Turismo 7, despite the fact that I adore it. But like when I, when I adored Gran Turismo 1 on PS1, I can still go back and play that right now. And so that comes in. Do you feel like there's a worry with any games for you? Also, I think you may be muted. Hashtag no. one for TD Dog. <laughs> <laughs> All I said was, why would you ever want to play a game that looks like that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Calm down, Jim Ryan. <laughs> Aren't you retired? <laughs> uh, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's a coming. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I would like them to eventually be a little bit uh I I, I don't want to lose physical games either. Sorry, I lost track of my thought there. But um I think I don't think physical games are ever going anywhere. That's been my stance for a while. I think they're fine. And I really don't think they're going anywhere. Um so I hope that subscription service stay an av- additive thing, you know. 
I with, use uh, game- with- Go ahead. I use Game Pass in a lot of ways to try before I buy for some things. Like, you know, Jassant, had I liked that game and TT Dog not talked a mess of shit about it, um, <laughs> I might have bought it on PlayStation and gotten the Platinum. But I tried it. I thought what I played was boring. He was very clear that he thought what he played was boring. So I'm good, you know. But Pal World, I'm probably going to put 100 hours into it on Xbox and then play it on PlayStation if it comes there. So, yeah. That's useful. Um, I'm always th- this always online thing has been such an interesting thing for me to wrap my head around because I think the idea is just player knowledge. As with everything, it's like if it's always online, they get to see what you're doing, they get to see what your habits are, and they get to do all that real time and make more changes. And I get that, but there is kind of a, a, an unintuitive thing, at least it feels like, to sit there and look and be like, "All right, this racing game that ninety percent of the game has nothing to do with multiplayer." <laughs> is going to be entirely functionless without multiplayer besides the ability to race by yourself to a on a track to the beat of a music. That's all you can do in Gritrismo 7 if you do not have internet. <laughs> and it just kind of feels like what's the real purpose for that? Cuz like there are certain games where I always feel like the scale makes sense. It's like do you really want to play Destiny 2, a game that's entire functionality is built around the online multi like playing with people or playing against people? That is that game. It's built around it. There's raids. That's everything. Gran Turismo is just a game about racing in semi-realistic or pretty realistic environments with pretty realistic mechanics and very realistic cars. <laughs> like, what about that really requires internet? And so I think when you see that, people's uh, gut reaction to be like, why is this always online? It's one that I sympathize with because it is kind of like a, or at least I empathize with rather, because I, I feel it myself. It doesn't quite make sense to me. Um, so hopefully we see less games do that. I haven't played the crew, so I don't know what its actual design is. Uh, but I can tell you with an absolute certainty, there is nothing about Gran Turismo 7 that makes it need internet for the idea of the game to function. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean... Would you take a lesser experience from what you got with Gran Turismo 7 to add multiplayer or to add a single player story? I don't know how to explain what I'm trying to say, but to make the end game of we've turned off the servers, what is this game now? Would you change the experience to get something different or are you happy with what GT7 is right now? I think the question is probably a little bit for every individual person. And some people do spend a lot more time racing online. Um, But what I'd say is that uh, the game is not inherently you playing with other people. The game is you interacting with the mechanics and the games and the the race and everything on Mm -hmm. a singular scale and then scaling that up and playing online if you want. And I I think what's awesome about that is like Gran Turismo has a really long history of just being a game that people dig and dig and find deep love into and they never played online at all. Um, You know, you you think about Gran Turismo 1, 2, 3, 4, and to even lesser degree 5, um, Five and six online was there. Sport online was there. But like sport being online only makes more sense because sport was all around it being like an eSport and it being based around creating events for racing. That game didn't have license tests and it didn't have a lot of the things that you'd expect from a traditional Gran Turismo. So it made sense as a as an always online game. Gran Turismo 7 being a mainline Gran Turismo and feeling like it's got the story races for you to do that teach you about cars and racing. There's an entire game that exists separate from its online component. 
Um, mm-hmm. And so to that end, what I would hope is that if they were ever going to cut the servers off, they would just patch the game to, to pretend the servers were always connected. I don't know if they could do that, but you know, the unfortunate part is as you can go back to these games and, you know, we've been talking lately about being able to go back to PS3 with relative ease, whereas yep. it's a little more complicated to move back to PS1 and PS2, uh, PS1 for sure. Um, but I've been playing PSP games with not much of a problem either. So basically as, as mechanics and graphics and these things keep growing in such a, st- a sense where the jumps are quite as big as they used to be, there's no way I can imagine me not being cool with like wanting to show my kids like, <laughs> look at Grand Turismo 7. I played this game for 500 hours, you know, yeah. and being able to do so for separate of an arbitrary reason. Um, that's kind of where I was going with in my mind with that is you're right. Like Gran Turismo seven, at least a part of it is it's online. It just is. Mm. But the game, if, if all you did was just not one day have that, there's a full game to enjoy there and to kind of shackle that full game to enjoy their silent or separate of that, uh, due to just an online server that has to be maintained is a little unfortunate, but it's only unfortunate once they decide to close it. So really we're speculating right now, (laughs) <laughs> but you know it, what it is is we're saying conceptually that idea doesn't make me feel good. Fair <laughs> so enough. We're expressing disinterest in it. Um, we got one more. We're going to do real quick from uh, from patron Jehudi MD. He says, "I think as a supplement, they are good. I see subservices complementing my gaming needs since I can still purchase rent movies series. I wish we can rent only games at some point. Um, yeah, that'd be interesting. Ooh, I almost wonder." If Sony would be like, now that we've got, I'm honestly surprised they don't do that now. Hey, you download the game, we give you the license for two weeks, and you rent for the appear you want, and there's a price that is is with that. I have to imagine it's because publishers aren't on board with it, and mm. on a digital environment, it wouldn't have to be Sony saying it's okay, it'd have to be Square Enix saying it's okay, and Rockstar saying it's okay, and you know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's a good but point. That's essentially what a subscription service is, but it's a little different at the same time. Is that the best way to look at a subscription service? Is it's just it's like a blockbuster membership? <laughs> a digital blockbuster membership? Yeah, I mean it's kind of like porn, right? Like <laughs> You know what, Chris? You're kind of joking, I know, or at least you're leaning into it. But if you're about to say that the porn industry is still going very strong despite Pornhub being completely free and ubiquitous for most people, you have a somewhat compelling argument here. I was going to say it doesn't replace your wife, but that works too. (laughs) Also true, though. Yeah. (laughs) Still got your wife there, but sometimes, you know. Marsha May is looking real fine. <laughs> I'll tell you this much. What I've been surprised about is when you go into an adult store like that, mm. every now and then you have to, you know. Yeah, no I'm course. always surprised to still see not only porn DVDs, but specifically new porn DVDs of new porn that was filmed and put on DVD. And I'm always like, in this environment, I guess what I'd say is, the porn industry is pretty good at, at, at giving you an indication of what the rest of the uh, the markets are going to do. Because if mm-hmm. the porn industry still sees the value in physical media, 
damn it, so should the games <clears throat> people. <laughs> well, wasn't that the whole thing with uh, DVD or Laserdisc? Not Laserdisc, HD DVD versus Blu-ray? Is mm-hmm. that porn chose Blu-ray, so Blu-ray won? <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's that's the joke. You know, like Tropic Thunder has the whole part where he's talking about it. But it's not false. No, it's not. Like that was a big part of why HD DVD went under is that you need porn. It's the weird industry that people pretend doesn't exist, but a lot of people interact with. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. So it is what it is. Uh, but we're going to get moving on into the rest of the news. We're a good chunk into this. So, next piece of news here is uh, related to Death Stranding 2. So, the official title for Death Stranding 2 is rumored to be Death Stranding 2 on the Beach. This title was leaked by the website DEA Labs or D Labs and has stirred excitement among fans as it hints at a potential shift in the game's setting, possibly focusing more on coastal or sea based environments. Alongside the leaked title, there is buzzing anticipation about an imminent announcement regarding Death Stranding 2. This announcement is expected to align with Sony's rumored upcoming State of Play event. The timing of this event and its content remains speculative, but the anticipation is high. Death Stranding 2 was first unveiled at the Game Awards in 2022 under the working title DS2. The anticipation for Death Stranding 2 comes amidst other projects by Kojima Productions, including a mysterious game called, uh, titled OD in partnership with Microsoft, adding to the intrigue surrounding Hideo Kojima's upcoming releases. I gotta tell you, Chris, I think it's a terrible name. And with that in mind... We got a question from one of our patrons, Josh Ayers. And he said, um, I think the leaked Death Stranding name is silly. Thoughts? <laughs> yes, I agree. It's a terrible name. I don't have very much to say. It's a bad name, but I'm sure it'll mean something. Here's the thing I am a fan generally speaking, of subnames for games. But sometimes the, the IP and the number after it is just the best idea. And I'm going to say from a pure marketing standpoint, DS2 and big bold letters that you can fill the screen with and the Death Stranding font, I think is going to be more effective than trying to do DS2 and then really tiny underneath on the beach. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like... Sometimes just count your blessings. But look, we know that Kojima is a kind of, uh, um, what would we say here, eccentric creator. So if he wants to give it a name like that, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, Metagross Solid 5, The Phantom Pain. But that's a much cooler sounding name than On the Beach, if I'm just being dead honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fan of the name at all, but I'm sure it means something to someone. Well, like even Metagross Solid Peace Walker, that's like a, that's a the name is more intriguing than On the Beach. On the Beach, pun intended, sounds on the nose, and it nah. doesn't it doesn't really sound like what you would expect. Um, I think that Kojima tends to want to be a little bit like teasing and informative with the name, to where once you play the game, you understand the name. And On the Beach just sounds like there's no way that it can be deeper than just on the beach. Now, I, we all know if you've played Death Stranding what the beach is in that lore and what that game is, but that does not still make this a good subname because it doesn't really give you there's, there's no real mystery to it. No. You know? Like you wouldn't be like, "Why is it called On the Beach?" whereas you could see yourself being like, "Why is it called The Phantom Pain?" Mhm. 
You know, why is it called why is it called Honor Among Thieves? <laughs> why is it called a thieves end? You know what I mean? It's like I feel like the name should induce a sense of mystery in you. Right. And the mystery shouldn't be did they forget their suntan lotion? <laughs> yeah, so uh, goofy name. But look, that aside, I'm incredibly excited for Death Stranding 2. Death Stranding 1 is an incredible game. Cannot believe how good that game turned out to be. I, mean, I can. And, uh, at, at risk of sounding like everyone else, Kojima does make interesting games. I don't like all of them, but it's kind of hard to be like, yeah, Kojima just makes bad games because I, I think that that's just blatantly untrue, even if you don't like them. I don't like Metal Gear Solid 5 that much, but you would never see me calling that game bad ever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not. So to that end, um, it, it's interesting to see. Um, timetable in this, I, I kind of want to use this as a, a jumping board onto something that we can briefly talk about, and there's a question in relation to. Um, even though Sony's kind of talked about a few things, mostly partnerships with people that they already have third-party deals with, um, I've been kind of of the mindset that this has been an interesting year in the fact that Microsoft is just came off the back of a developer direct where they showed four games coming out for Xbox uh, that, if I'm not mistaken, the only studio I wasn't fam- uh, familiar with was Oxide. I couldn't tell if they were a first party or if that was just like a second party deal. That was Auto, um, right? Yeah. I believe that's so, second party. Okay. so And I thought probably it was, but we know the other three are first party. Um, and so when you're looking at that situation, it's kind of interesting that there was a long history of Microsoft being the people that uh, didn't have any games and couldn't show anything and didn't have anything coming out. And Sony was, you know, pretty perennially being like, we got this coming out and this coming out and this coming out. And I've said that we're kind of in a weird spot where there, it's not clear what from Sony's internal studios that is new and not a remaster of some sort is coming out this year. We don't know. Mm-hmm. And it could just be timing. It could just be that Microsoft's done a better job. But I think what it really is, is it's interesting to see that Sony had a bunch of games and they've just exhausted them all. They've all hit release at this point. And now we're kind of at the only games that we don't really know anything about are Death Stranding 2 and Wolverine. And could they come this year? They absolutely could, but we don't have any any inclination to think so. So when you look at that off the back of Microsoft being like, hey, Hellblade 2 this year, early this year, bam, Uh, Avowed, fall, this other game, 2024. You know, it's like they're doing a much better job at kind of being like, here's what to expect. And at least we seem pretty bullish and it's all going to come out this year. Um, So I guess my first question is kind of, how do you feel about that? weird kind of shifting of perspective in a lot of ways where at this point PlayStation is almost looking a little more like Xbox of yore in terms of being clear of it right now it seems like Sony is silently saying just give us time and the games will come which is like Phil Spencer's famous quote for year after year after year Um, well I think the thing is Sony's clearly been quiet recently more so than in the past and I don't, I don't know. I feel like we're not at Xbox levels of cope yet. You know, um, I think, I think the reason we're at this point with Sony is because they've never really had a period like this before. Right. Yeah. For as long as I can remember playing games, I always knew, or at least being more conscious of 
the industry as a whole. I always knew that there was something coming out from Sony. In the PS3 era, it was too many games exclusive at once, right? They had at least like once a month something crazy coming out. You know, last year it was once every quarter about they had something. And next year it could very well shape up to once every quarter. So I'm not terribly worried about it until I go a couple years without it. Next up, uh, we have a backlash surrounding Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth. So as you may have seen, the latest entry in the Yakuza series has sparked backlash due to its approach to the New Game Plus. Uh, The controversy centers around limiting New Game Plus access to certain editions of the game. Fans are upset as this decision seems to gate a traditionally standard feature behind a paywall creating a significant divide between standard and deluxe editions. Adding to the discontent is the approach to pre-order bonuses and the various editions available. These include the Master Vacation Bundle, Shujimon and Resort Bundle, and Yakuza CD Collection Set. Players have expressed frustration over the segmentation of content, feeling that essential gameplay elements and experiences are being restricted to higher price editions despite the discontent. Uh, like a Dragon Infinite Wealth is set to release on January 26, 2024, and already has a 90 on Metacritic. Woo woo. I'm telling you, man, it's been a good week and a half for my Metacritic draft. It's uh, here's the thing, though. I, I'm I'm sculping up early. You know, I'm hitting them roids, getting the good gains. I'm a little worried that uh, I, I may get the uh, what what do they call them? The <laughs> The duds down at the end. The the testosterone tits or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) When you're coming off of steroids. There's a chance I run into some rough ones, but it's a really nice start because Tekken 8 also sitting at a 90 currently on Metacritic is looking real nice. Uh, Prince of Persia, I think, landed at an 88. And now we've got Like a Dragon, Infinite Wealth at a 91 or a 90. I guess it dropped a little bit throughout the day. That's incredible. You know, I'm happy for you. So uh, here's the hope and we can get it. Conversely, Chris, after watching the developer direct, uh, one thing we didn't get to actually, that's, uh, I need to go back to that real quick. Uh, but one thing we didn't get to in that is a lot of the games you chose, uh, I, I think you chose well, the more I saw of them. Uh, yeah. So uh, with that in mind, let's go over to a question that we got asked on our, the Discord from one of our patrons, Mr. Rude Days 93 where he asked... Um, now with it happening for the second year in a row, curious what your opinion is, not so much on the games, but the format for the Xbox Developer Direct. Do you like a presentation that dives into four to five games and gives plenty of details, or do you prefer a state of play or Nintendo Direct that show more games with minigame trailers? So Chris, can let you kind of steer the boat on that one to begin with. Do you have a preference on format? Yeah, I, <clears throat> I don't dislike what Xbox is doing, I actually think it's really cool. Here's my caveat. I think it's really cool if you give a shit about the games they're showing. And I only cared for one of those games, personally. I am not an Indiana Jones fan, so don't care. It's not a console war thing. I could not give a shit less about Indiana Jones. <laughs> um, so that it was just like, oh, that's that's cool. I'll play the better Indiana Jones on PlayStation. Thank you. And then when this comes to PlayStation in a couple of years, I'll play it on PlayStation too. That's fine. Um, so I think the problem for me with developer directs is that if I don't care about the games, I don't care about developer directs. 
which means I'm probably not going to watch a developer direct. It's not, it would be the same for PlayStation. If this was like, Hey, we're doing a horizon and you know, uh, Atreus direct developer direct. I'd be like, okay, I'm not watching it. You know? Um, so for me, the format of, Hey, we're showing what's next and here's a trailer and, here's machine games talking about Indiana Jones and here's a trailer and here's arcane talking about blade and here's a world premiere and here's a world premiere and here's whoever talking about our history untold and here's a world reveal and Hey, we're friends with square Enix, right? Square Enix. Come talk about your square Enix game, square Enix. Please come and talk about square Enix at the next box event, please. You know, that to me is more interesting than, Hey, here's a look at Avowed, and here's a look at Senua's Saga. It's just because those games, to me, I didn't play Senua's Saga one. You know, I'm ex- I was going to be excited for Avowed no matter what, and the footage I saw of Indiana Jones, I was like, this looks fine. I'm not sad. I'm going to miss this for a couple years. So that to me is why I would prefer the old way of doing it. I think the hardest part about modern thing is that the choices that you make have to account for the broadest. You have two approaches. You can do one event that, uh, that tries to account for as broad of an, of, you know, uh, an audience as you can get and that you can make happy or you can do a bunch of small events that have different ways so that you can kind of engage different segments of your audiences in different ways. So I think that when I look at it, I think for me, I share a lot of Chris's things. I really like developer directs so long as I care about what's being shown. But the moment that I stop caring about what's being shown and the realization sets in that it's going to be probably another 10 to 15 minutes before anything else is shown, it starts to kind of be like, oh, that's unfortunate. Uh, and I know that because I hadn't watched the developer direct yet. And so I watched it today before, whenever I got home before the podcast. So that I had a little context and because I was curious about seeing Hellblade and Avowed, um, and I wanted to dig into those. So whenever those other moments happen, like, uh, that aura coming up, I was like, yeah, this doesn't really interest me. And then it just kind of struck me like, it's cool. And I like hearing people talk about games and things, but at some point I have to care about the game a little bit. And when I don't, it's just kind of feels like, okay, how long until the next thing? Um, so to that end, you got to pick and choose. I think for all of PlayStation's woes and Nintendo's woes in different directions and also all their positives in different directions, I ultimately think the best way to serve the biggest group of people and to be efficient with your time and money in that regard is to do something like a state of play to where it's, hey, we're going to show the game. Guess what? If you're not interested in it, it doesn't matter because in three minutes we're going to be talking about something else, if not less. I, I just think it's probably the better way to go. And for the really big titles that you think are going to be the ones that get the most thought, then you can dig in a little bit on those. And I think that PlayStation's also been smart that they normally deep dive at the end and they tell you that up front. So they go, listen, if you don't give a shit about Ghost of Tsushima, just don't watch the end of this because at the end of this, we're going to do a deep dive into Ghost of Tsushima. Bam. I think that that's probably the best way to handle it, but I do really like the developer direct. And I think it's a cool way to do a little bit of what we kind of, what a lot of people criticize the game awards for not doing, which is kind of focusing on gaming as a craft and everything 
These developer directs were cool to just watch people who were making the game and developing the game talk about the game, but also talk about what they thought of when they were going into it, the thought process behind what was going on and kind of seeing a day in the life of the studios. That's great. And it's cool for people that really get into gaming at that level. Um, so I guess the question on a, on a outside of an individual level is when you're looking at big audience, who are you trying to speak to and do they care? And I, I don't pretend to know the answer. It's just a question of what's, what's best. Uh, Chris, you're still muted. <laughs> but I wasn't even speaking. You didn't have to call me out. Oh, yeah. To be fair, but I didn't want you to start speaking in a minute and be muted. You know, Chris, that's mm-hmm. the problem. Mm-hmm. All I would have been doing was kicking the can down the road. Uh, continuing on, let's get back real quick to this Like a Dragon thing. I understand this backlash pretty well. I think it's a little wild. We're pretty used to in this day and age seeing New Game Plus added as free DLC at the, you know, later in the life of a product. I don't think I've seen New Game Plus be gated by DLC. It's a ballsy move at the very least. So, Chris, you're a little bit more into Yakuza than I am. Uh, Also, I tend to not really play New Game Plus unless it's available day one. That tends to just be the way I am. I don't really revisit games in that capacity very often. And if I am revisiting them, I usually want to start from scratch to kind of get a version of the experience again. So what's your take on this? Um, I think it sucks. Uh, there's no real good reason that I can come up with in my head for why you would do this. So Capitalism. Yeah, God bless it. <laughs> Apparently, Sega doesn't have infinite wealth. They don't. <laughs> <laughs> we know I this. love Sega, but they do not. No, um, they don't. So, uh, yeah, I don't have much more to say about this. I completely understand why people are doing this. And I feel like this is one of those watershed moments where you've got to bitch about this and try and do something about it. And it sucks that it's on a game that's rating so high in Metacritic because you're going to have that FOMO of like, I really want to play it because it rated high. But also, I kind of want to show them that I don't like this practice and I want to do so by just not buying it. Though there's a middle ground. You can also not like this practice by just no one buying the deluxe edition, but True. still buying the game. And you can try and show them that we, we were interested in the game, but not your dumb business practice of putting this behind that. Uh, so I think people being vocal and expressing this is the right call. I think this is the moment to not let this go and let other publishers be like, wait, we can do that <laughs> because that's what will happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw that exact same thing where it's like, wait, 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 we can get people to pay more if we just tell them they can have the game three days earlier. All right, good. We'll just actually set the release date for this day, even though the game will be ready on this day. That's really what's happening. You know, it's just perspective. Yeah, (laughs) but you know the sad part is if had they done a three-day early access, I would have bought the game today. (laughs) (laughs) That's the funny part. It's like I get why people do it and they like it, but this is the exact same thing. It's putting something arbitrary behind the thing. It's being like, hey, you want the game three days early? We're going to throw in a bunch of skins and bullshit too, but we know why you're buying the game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we know why exactly. you're spending the extra $20 or the extra 30 or 10 or 15 um, So to that end, uh, you know, yeah. hey, Excuse me. as we often kind of shout out on here, vote with your wallet. If you mm-hmm. do not like this, do not participate in it. Um, and insofar as like Chris said with like the AI thing, if you feel like not participating and it's going to stop you from being able to enjoy games at all, then enjoy it to what extent you feel you're most comfortable with. And then just do your best to express loudly in the places where it's going to be 
the most effective to let people know that you don't like this and try and push other people to minimize their interaction with it as well. Yeah. So uh, last piece of news here before we uh, move into round the show out. This is a really interesting one, man. Uh, pull up a chair uh, and prepare to sit down. Focus Entertainment has decided to change its name yet again, as you may mm-hmm. remember them as Focus Home Interactive, <laughs> um, to pull up entertainment. This seems to have happened to get some type of synergy between its brands. Uh, it's like consolidating everything together and rebranding itself as pull up. Yeah. This is terrible. A weird move. I don't like the name, but whether or not the market does will remain to be seen. But, um, you know, we had a kind of micro discussion earlier with TT Dog, or I did, on. Um, he was talking about how for the fantasy draft that we're doing with uh, our, our Discord users, uh, separate from ours, you know, we're, we're both mm-hmm. doing in. Um, we were talking about how he bid our, or one of the games he chose was uh, Turnip Boys sequel. And I remember him right after choosing it, expressing uh, a little bit of regret in choosing it because he was worried that it wasn't going to be as good because apparently they just completely changed genre and everything for, excuse me, for the sequel. And I get where he's coming from. It's it's kind of weird for a game to be like, hey, you know that game that you just played and liked and enjoyed with this name? We're doing another one with the same name and everything that you liked about it is different. And it kind of makes you be like, why? Why did you even bother putting that name and time up? So if you kind of pull that over here, why did you have all these years as Focus Entertainment just to throw that name out the window and become pull up? It's like, I sometimes I wonder, do, do we as average consumers and stuff, do we not really understand the seeming unimportance of name recognition? Yeah. I mean, people don't, don't think about that until it's like, Oh wait, what's happening now? <laughs> hmm. I think it would only matter in so far as like someone's in the PSN or they're at the store looking at game cases and they see a game that they look kind of interested in, but they look and they go, I'm not familiar with pull up entertainment and they put it down. But if that's not happening, then it doesn't matter. If they're just looking at it and go, well, this game looks cool. I don't know who pull up entertainment is. They might be new. Let me give them a try. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> I would imagine <clears throat> I would imagine that ninety nine point nine percent of people don't care because Evil West still looks cool if it's directed if it's published by Focus Home or fucking pull up entertainment. You know? That's fair. Yeah. That's the thing. I think it's only for nerds like us and we're too close. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We've seen the event horizon. And now we just have to accept it, accept the, hey, what the knowledge has done to us. For people who recognize publisher names, but don't interact with it to this degree, this is a pretty interesting pulling the wool over your eyes moment, potentially, to where as Focus Home, you could have put out a bunch of games and had a bunch of bad decisions that people didn't like. And then they go, I hate Focus Home Entertainment. I'll never buy another game from them again. But then the next game that you put out, they look and they're like, I don't know who Pull Up Entertainment is. I'll give them a try. And it's like, ha, ha, ha. Gotcha, <laughs> bastard. <laughs> um, yeah, that's an interesting call. Um, I ultimately think it's the worst name, but... I, okay, look, take it away from name recognition. Let's just look at it this way. Do you think someone's going to be more likely to buy a game? They don't even know anything about the game or the publisher. They just look at the box and they see Focus Home or Focus Entertainment on there. And then they turn around and they see Pull Up Entertainment. I wonder if those names, 
clearly they have some impact, but I wonder how strong the impact would be between those. Like, do they focus test and print both and like have people walk in and just like look at which one they're going to be more likely to pull? Yeah. Yeah. I maybe. wonder. Cause it's like, is that why you make the decision? I, why, I don't know. I wish I knew because focus is such a good name. It's a good name. It's not even a great name, but it's, a, it's a solid name. Yeah. It's like, okay, focus. Yeah, sure. But like this one is like, dude, like even the way it's stylized pissed me off. <sighs> yeah. Trying to be, uh, <laughs> uh, why can I not think of the, uh, the term for them? Chris, I'm dying. <laughs> we are all slowly dying, my friend. Well, what is it called when it works the same forwards and backwards? <laughs> palindrome? Yes, a palindrome. Thank you. Nailed it. Um, that's how they stylized it. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. pull up regardless. It um, sucks. Palindrome Entertainment would actually have been a better name in my opinion. <laughs> it would have been. <laughs> but they should they would have had to get the na- they would have had to figure out a name that was a palindrome. That'd be really cool. I don't know how the hell you'd pull that off. Neither but if I. you could have it be palindrome and then another word afterwards and but I think it's just impossible because like Even if it's just gonna- designed that way. <laughs> yeah. Uh who knows? Uh it's a, it's an interesting idea. We'll probably never be able to tell what the actual uh impact is one way or the other on this, but um let me say this much. The way that I feel that I'm going to express is, uh, <laughs> that's, that's the best I can say. Um, all right, we're going to round the show out real quick. Uh, before we get into the Velvet's Corner, which we're shaking up a bit this week, uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, we got a couple of questions I wanted to run by. So this one's pretty fun, and it comes from <clears throat> Pork Chops. Uh, he says, after just finishing up the 24-hour race at Daytona on iRacing, in which I had to be up and in my sim rig at 3 a.m. to take over for my first laps of what came out to a total of five hours of racing for my team, what are some, if not just one, of the most crazy commitments you have been a part of in the name of gaming? Nothing like that. Um, I think the closest I could think is I did that full playthrough set uh, in Rock Band. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like 10 hours of just playing Rock Band, and it was not fun. It was to the point where by the end, I was just doing using the mic and just watching TV and going, ah, 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 ah and that worked. So there we go. Yeah, that's... Uh... That's an interesting way to go. Um, you know, there's very simple ones that are like arbitrary. Like I'm going to beat Kingdom Hearts and uh, Kingdom Hearts 1 typically takes around 20 hours depending on what you're doing and doing that without going to sleep and just playing straight. I've done that, um, which is an interesting choice. Um, I'd say the one that's probably most in line with what he said and probably the most uh, difficult uh, as well is that uh, Gran Turismo has long had these 24-hour races. Uh, so it's like 24-hour Le Mans. Um, and my dad and I, long ago, and Gran Turismo 4? That sounds right. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad had this PS2 racing wheel that up until a few years ago I still had. Um and I, I remember we were we were poor, so my dad got a racing wheel. It wasn't a very expensive one, but it, it worked. Um, and we couldn't afford a racing chair setup. I don't even know if you could buy those back then, because you know we're talking two thousand six, two thousand five, maybe mm-hmm. uh, if even that. 
uh, probably a little earlier, probably 2004. Um, but with that in mind, my dad, being as he is, built this PVC frame where we set a kitchen, like a dining chair, inside the frame. And what would happen is you would set the pedals on the front part of the frame pushing against the frame and the back of the PVC frame would pull against the back legs of the chair. So your body weight would keep it in place. And the frame came up and there was a wood top that he had mounted to it and the steering wheel was there. And him and I bounced in two hour segments doing that race uh, until we were completed. Uh, I can't remember where we ended. It was, uh, it goes to show you how the brain works. It was shortly after, Uh, Not shortly after, but it was not long after divorce and my parents kind of deciding that they were going to try again and then it still didn't work. (laughs) Mm. So uh, there are other things clouding around that time. But yeah, that was an interesting way to go about um, attempting one of those races. And I've debated doing that. Uh, My dad and I don't really have a great relationship as I've become an adult. Um, But I've debated trying to figure out doing that with someone because it's an interesting idea to be like, all right, we're going to take shifts and we're going to complete this 24-hour race that is legitimately 24 hours of racing. It's a very interesting take and something that's like a big commitment. But it's pretty cool to do. Um, (laughs) Because of that, I sometimes like watching videos online of people doing it um, and seeing how long they'll do it. So it's it's a wild thing. I don't know if you'd have any interest. A lot of people will do it and then just... uh, uh, time skip it where you're just watching it happen very fast um time lapse so that's pretty cool but watching someone sit there and race like some people doing like i'm gonna race for five hours you're gonna sleep for five hours we'll switch <laughs> yeah that seems crazy to me that's pretty wild but, but I mean, that's impressive what, I just that's what me and my dad did right it was like we're doing two hour increments i was young so he was my dad was like i guess trying to be a little more mindful of me to some degree uh at one point in time he just did four hours and i slept for four hours because uh, he tried, he was like trying to wake me up without interacting or messing up the race, and I wouldn't wake up. And he's like, "I don't worry about it." <laughs> um, so, you know, those types of commitments can get pretty wild, and it's it's fun to see um, that kind of stuff happen. But my favorite ones of those are always just self self imposed, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm just going to do this for the sake of doing it. Like there's no real reason. I'm just going to do it. Which arguably yeah. is what he did, right? It's like, yeah, you're doing because there's a tournament, and I guess that that's fair, but you know, the game didn't demand it of you. You just decided you were going to do it. <laughs> so um, we've got one more question here. It's very simple uh, before we go into the Velvet's Corner. Uh, Chris, have you ever seen the Northern Lights? No. Yeah, me either. I want to, though. Uh, I want to do a lot more traveling of the country. Me too. We should do that. We should start doing, dude, triangle squared out so outdoors. <laughs> Trial, triangle squared vlogs <laughs> yeah it's just me and you talking playstation while we're both just shivering in a tent in the appalachian mountains dude i, I mean this quite literally you know how sick it would be to have like two camping chairs set up with a camera tucked way down pointing up at the northern lights while we're sitting there talking <laughs> that would be incredible it would be great for the podcast too, because I would be terrified of the ghosts of the ghosts on the Appalachian Trail, and you'd be like, "Yeah, that's there's nothing creepy about the woman screaming in the middle of the woods. That's just totally normal stuff." Yeah, well, there's nothing creepy, Chris, because there's no such thing as ghosts. Mm-hmm. You saw the picture of the ghost in my room. <laughs> <laughs> In your bathroom? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty good story. Uh, they're not around for that. But as Chris and I were playing the survivalist, yeah. um, 
we were sitting there. He sends me a picture of this thing he hung up in his bathroom. Um, and midway through talking, this has been like six or seven minutes after he sent me the picture. He just goes, dude, zoom in on that picture I sent you and just move over and look at the black of the door. And I, and I was like, what? And he goes, do you see it? And I look and I did see what he was talking about. <laughs> it wasn't really a face, but it was like the hint of a face, I guess is the best way to kind of describe it. It looks right? more like a like a dog almost than a it was person, really odd. but it yeah. was creepy. Yeah, so Chris's house is uh, is haunted, and I don't believe in ghosts. So that's my favorite thing to mess with Chris about. Ghosts suck, man. I believe in them right here. <laughs> well, Chris, I can tell you this much. Tell me. I've never experienced a ghost uh, interaction. So, uh, but it's one of those things where I'd be I'd I'd be perfectly willing to be proven wrong. If I ever have one, I'll let you know. I'll you know. That's really funny because I don't want to be proven right. So, <laughs> but you act like you've We're had at a so crossroads. many. <laughs> I've had ex- my experience with it is more of like, what was that? You know what I mean? Yeah. And like jumping to the worst answer and being convinced of the well, worst one. Okay, so listen, I get what you mean. Back when we were in high school. Uh, back whenever we would just look up, I think I, th- I told you about how the picture of the mirror made me think of the uh, old 2008, 2010, 2011, where it was like, when you see it, you'll ship bricks. And mm-hmm. it was this thing of like, um, oh, it's a picture. And randomly somewhere in the picture, there will be a face or something hidden that you don't see immediately. And uh, we also would end up looking up Mothman. So I remember there was a for Slender multiple Man. nights in a row and different different uh, birthday parties and stuff, I'd take my PS3 to friends' houses or they'd come over to mine and we'd use the PS3 browser and we'd load up these sites that had these pictures one after another and you'd scroll through them or, or we'd look at Mothman stuff and just read different like things about, oh, this this is a Mothman thing. Is is he a friend or is he a foe? Is he a, does he bring with him the 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 natural disasters that happen or is he a beckon to warn people that they're coming and so you kind of get going on that and i remember we snuck out after hours uh, and about a mile maybe two from my house there's a walking trail and we went on the walking trail because so we wouldn't get caught by any kind of cops or anything and walking under like tree shades at like two in the morning and just hearing random rustles from animals out and about and like hearing birds flying through the thing every now and then you kind of start getting this feeling of like i knew it wasn't real but it's like i have the thing where it's like i feel like mothman could just pop out of nowhere right now and it would scare the shit out of me like but I guess I'm smart enough for my, for my, or at least the way I view the world. I think I'm smart enough to be able to be like, yeah, but that's just my fear because I've been letting my mind kind of wander off in these crazy directions. I, I but wish I think your difference is that you just, you're just chilling there and then shit happens. You're like, what the fuck? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, my question for someone like you is like, okay, you don't believe in it, but does that mean that you're comfortable putting yourself in positions that could be scary? Oh yeah, absolutely. Right, like you're like oh, so. So you're like, if I told you we're gonna go to the most haunted cemetery of all time, like eight people died here, there might be something that haunts this place that kills people on the regular. There's not a small part of you that's like, I don't believe in it, but I'm still not going to that fucking cemetery. No, there's like a small part of me that's like, it would be really interesting if it was real, but outside of that, I'd totally go. No problem. That's I wouldn't go. 
even if I didn't believe it, I wouldn't even put myself at the risk. It's always like I always say, right? See, are you one of those people that generally think cemeteries at night are like a no-go? Definitely. But (laughs) for me, it's a situation of like, if, if you had the opportunity to sell your soul to the devil, would you? Right. And my answer is always no, because even though there's no direct proof of heaven and a God, the existence of the devil would prove proves the existence of God. So you don't sell your soul to the devil because you've just received proof that there is an afterlife and a heaven just by the existence of the ability to be able to sell your soul. So to me, the possibility that there's okay. ghosts somewhere means you don't go to the place so, where there might be ghosts. <laughs> let me understand your, 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 your little analogy there. So you're saying that in a scenario where you just say with nothing in front of you, nothing compelling you, you just go, you know what? I'm going to, I'm just going to proclaim that I've sold my soul to the devil. Mm-hmm. And you say that you wouldn't do that in a way where you're being even remotely semi-serious or whatever, because the risk of if that actually worked, meaning that you'd pay the price as far as afterlife stuff goes, is too high, right? No, I'm saying like, say you go, I'm going to sell my soul to the devil, and Satan walks into your room. At that point, you go, no, I'm not doing it. Well, yeah. No, of course. At that point. Right. Yeah, at that point, if you have the proof in front of you, because, yeah, if, if, if you what don't you have tell, proof in God. Yeah, but you have proof in the devil. And so there's proof that something exists, whether or not it's the God you know of or right. not. You have proof of death. Yeah. But <laughs> do you but, know that? Okay, that? That's, that's different because I think the devil to God is a lot different than ghost to dying. Eh, ish. <laughs> it's that's, still that's my argument, right? It's still an look, unfounded. I'm with lead. you, but do you do look, you know what look, else even, is devilish? Look, Brett? If you take the devil out of the thing where he doesn't actually come in, I could even understand someone going, "Hey, the risk of even saying that I've sold my soul to the devil, even if I never saw the devil and never knew anything, just saying it on the off chance that the devil did exist and he really did take my soul, and mm-hmm. therefore." that happened, the risk is too high. It's like the flip side of the classic Pascalian wager where it's like certain people just go, well, you know, I just believe in God because if I don't, the risk of going to hell is too high, which there's a lot of questions around. But if you flip that, it's like, well, yeah, I at least agree of that on the Pascalian wager side of things. I will never be like, yeah, I sold my soul to the devil because on the very low chance that there is something out there. I don't want to run the risk of being true because the price that you'd have to pay for that is too high. So then why wouldn't you, why would you go to the cemetery, Brett? Uh, I, you know, it's, it's a good question, <laughs> but this is, this is what I'll tell you. In my hierarchy of beliefs and the importance imbued upon them, even though I do not believe that there is a God, um, you know, I'd say this, I'm willing to believe there's a God if I ever have an experience that moves me in that direction in any real capacity. So there's that. But as is, I don't believe in that and I don't believe anything's going to happen. But I think a really interesting part of that is if you were to look at it as if it were true, the risk imparted with that of wanting to sell your soul to the devil is very high. Whereas I'm running a slightly different risk and gambit by just not believing and I can you know, make myself believe that that's going to be judged better than having sold my soul to the devil. Therefore it works out. But for your thing, 
ghost being real doesn't really have that high of a of a risk in my opinion does that make sense like no. the risk is at the very least the risk is not the same as eternal damnation sure <laughs> i can't make it make any more sense than that that's the best i can say but chris what is what else is devilish you tell me you know what else is devilish how sexy i am in the velvet's corner what chris doing the velvet's corner I'm not going to say anything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Chris, this is your job. Go ahead, host. Oh, I totally forgot about that part. Yeah, so we decided that this week we wanted to have a stab at the Velvet's Corner, and we did it in the single most video game way possible. We fed a prompt into AI, and we're going to see what it suits (laughs) out at us. (laughs) So we end the episode... In the same way we started the episode. Mm-hmm. Tinkering with AI. <laughs> Goddamn. So the prompt that I gave ChatGPT was, come up, give me the mo- five of the most outlandish and absolutely insane video game. Hold on. Nope, we're going back down because I did a better one. Generate me 10. We don't have to do all 10. Generate me 10 absolutely batshit insane and hilarious would you rather questions based on PlayStation and video games for discussion on a podcast. ChatGPC says, of course, here are 10 absolutely batshit, insane, and hilarious PlayStation video game themed. Would you rather questions for your podcast? Brett, are you prepared for question one? I'm prepared for question one. Ooh, I like this. Oh my God, this is, this is fucking fantastic for question one. Would you rather have a real-life dance-off competition against a team of just dance characters at your wedding with the faith of your marriage, with the fate of your marriage hanging in the balance, or have to deliver a best man speech as Duke Nukem, complete with all his one-liners and macho attitude. (laughs) Okay, hold on. Repeat the first part one more time. The fate of the marriage thing. Would you rather have a real-life dance-off competition against a team of Just Dance characters at your wedding with the fate of your marriage hanging in the balance? Or have to deliver a best man speech as Duke Nukem, complete with all his one-liners and macho attitude. Definitely Duke Nukem. Here's the reason. I think it's a pretty solid answer. My marriage is too important to me to run the risk (laughs) going right back to what we were just talking about. (laughs) Listen, I know that I can't dance. There is no way in fuck I'm going to be a team of just dance characters Mm -hmm dancing against them i know that in that scenario i am losing my wife if that's the the thing here (laughs) that's what's happening in this other situation i'm someone's best man and i'm giving ostensibly the worst or best depending on who you are best man speech ever Uh, but all i'm really running the risk of is just pissing my friend off and i i think i he's like that one doesn't say that i'm gonna lose something it just implies that my people are gonna not be happy with what i did and therefore, I can ask for forgiveness. The other is a mm. zero-sum game. I either have my marriage or I don't. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, do you think you could give us a little sneak peek at your Duke Nukem best man speech? 
Hold on. So what does it actually say? Duke Nukem's one-liners? Yep, and his macho attitude. While oh, you're looking boy. up his one-liners and macho attitude, I will answer the question. Yeah, I got to hear your answer. And my answer, believe it or not, is actually number the first one. But here's why. Okay? So the people who listen to this podcast, if any of my friends are listening, they'll they'll get ruined on the surprise. Brett, I fully hope that you will be at my wedding one day, so you will miss out on the surprise too. But I've talked to my current girlfriend, and if we are getting married, the plan is to secretly practice to become legitimately good dancers and during our first dance do a fully choreographed super intense dance so i would take the just dance because in my head i will have already practiced dancing dude in that scenario i hope that mid-wedding ceremony beautiful first dance y'all are just hand in hand dancing moving around everyone's just looking ah look at him look at him and then suddenly y'all just burst out into dirty dancing and you just like rip your shirt off and you've got like a whole patrick swayze (laughs) that's 100 percent the plan and we were talking about it like i love the song rain by sleep token that'll be one of the songs and then it'll go to some crazy country song and then it'll be some taylor swift and we'll just be dancing (sighs) we'll do the we'll do the sleep the you know the footloose thing so come back to this podcast in a couple years and find out from brett if this happens (laughs) yeah chris will be living in arkansas Mm. uh next door to me at that point oh that's my wife so i mean you know we'll see what happens (laughs) certainly possible once she's married i just be like listen babe i'm the man of the house we're going to arkansas (laughs) (laughs) ain't gonna be no back talk we're going down south (sighs) Get All right, Chris, are you this. ready? Yeah, you want me to go number two? Here are my Duke Nukem-inspired um, best man I like quotes. It. So what I've done is taken some of his quotes, and I'm adjusting them to make sense for a best man speech. Just a hair. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> Her boot, your face. The perfect couple. <laughs> okay. <sighs> <clears throat> Your ass is grass, and she's the weed whacker. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I got one more in me. Just give me a second. It's time to kick ass and for y'all to get married, and I'm all out of ass. (laughs) Uh, Man, I tell you. Duke Nukem's an interesting character. My my thought was all, uh, you know, I'm here to speak now or forever hold my peace, and I'm all out of words. <laughs> so does it keep going though? Or like, is it only the speech, or like after they both say "I do," am I like bitching? <laughs> yeah, I feel like you do have to do that and then end it. So like Brett, it's got to keep in there. What would be great is I'm just ad-libbing. So like they're saying their vows and he's mm-hmm. like, he's like, you're the most beautiful girl. And the moment I laid my eyes on you, I knew you were the one for me. I'm just like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Brett, you can be the best man at my wedding if you promise to do, be in character as Duke Nukem the whole time. I'll do that. All right. Fuck I'll you. do that. Yeah. Start and I'll just, I'll just keep doing that. So I'll be like, after a few days of R and R, he'll be ready for more action. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) 
time for me to go upstairs with the double mint twins. <laughs> oh boy. All right. I'm telling you, there's there's a whole lot of them out of here. I'm sure. You know, he does the go ahead and make my day. <laughs> That'd be somewhere in there. So do it. Get married. Go ahead. Make my day. <laughs> yeah, I think you could do I, a pretty good one. You I know? think you could do a very good one. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> Would you rather live in a house with a sentient companion cube from Portal who constantly tries to convince you it's your best friend or have to take parenting advice from a Tomagotchi, raising it as if it were a real child with dramatic consequences? Ooh. Dude, dramatic consequences on the child. Dude, tr- I'll tell you right now, as someone who's a father, mm-hmm. you know how terrifying it is to make any decision r- in regards to your child? You have to. Yeah. But you're in a constant state of, of trying to quickly go over what you think is best while also appropriate timing, make a response, and then making the response and kind of going, ah, was that the right response? Like, that's just kind of where your brain goes. Doing that with a Tamagotchi, but where there are real consequences to it, it's just the same thing. I'd yeah. rather just have the annoying-ass cube. <laughs> I think I'd go with the cube, too. The thing that scares me about being a parent is, like, when your kid does something funny but wholly inappropriate and you can't oh, laugh. Hard. That's hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'll i tell you a joke after the show that had me thinking about that. <laughs> All right, I'm looking. All right, okay. Would you rather have your daily commute into a Death Stranding delivery mission complete with bizarre cargo and challenging terrain or have your workplace meeting conducted in in the style of a Dance Dance Revolution dance-off with promotions on the line? I'm not going to lie. The the promotions on the line, I I know this is kind of a 180 from my whole dance challenge thing. You're going dance-off? I think I'm going dance off just because it's dance dance revolution style. And if there's one thing I can tell you about DDR, you don't actually have to know how to dance. You just have to have good technically feet eye coordination. <laughs> That's so gross. Um, <laughs> Point being, I would go with Death Stranding. I wouldn't be losing my wife or anything. And how exciting it would it be to run home and be like, honey. Meet the new CEO. <laughs> What'd you do? I danced my ass off. Nobody in that company can dance like me. And it's just a bunch of people leaning back, holding the DDR bar. <laughs> Fucking damn it. You're not going to be my boss, Richard. <laughs> That's actually oh, a pretty solid skit idea. It's not bad. It's a great the CEO's dying play. and on his deathbed, he's like, he's like, the new CEO will be determined by dance off. All right. That'd be pretty good. Would you rather have all your real life actions scored with dramatic video game music, including intense boss fights for un- mundane tasks like grocery shopping or have all your conversations conducted using dialogue wheels with preset options and outcomes. Okay, hold on. You know, like in the RPG games where you can get a high enough skill that you can kind of see what their reaction is going to be underneath? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of usefulness in that. True. 
Like there's a great utilitarian view view to go there. But I'm also a little worried that wouldn't life be way more boring if you knew exactly the way everyone was going to respond to you? Well, I don't think that's the case, right? I don't think you know, but I think you pick from one of those. It would be like, okay, it, it's like you go up to saying, a girl like, at prom and yeah, it's like ahead. you have a tree. It's like you want to fuck. You want to go to the party. I'm going to go home and pee myself. You get to choose one of those options and only one of them works to get you laid. <laughs> You don't know which one it is, but you have to choose one. So in this scenario, free will is just gone from everyone but you? Yes. <laughs> you still have the free will to choose one of three options. It's it's a severely limited free will, but it's at least there. Well, everyone I mean, else has to follow the deigned. <laughs> yeah. It relates. It's video gaming in a way where everyone else is an NPC. That's true. The only real free person. will doesn't exist in video games. That's a very good point. And in real life. Um, <laughs> uh, so hold on. What was the other side again? You said it was have all of your life scored with like too with dramatic, dramatic video game music, including intense boss fights for mundane tasks like grocery shopping. Important, important question. Can everyone else hear it? Yes. And the reason I say that is, could you imagine laying down some pipe and just fucking hitting it and having like score punchy music and you just yeah and but you know how fucking weird it would be if like you're getting hyped up on your own score but no one else can hear it like so your wife or your girlfriend or whatever is just laying there and you're you know you're dicking her down good and she's just looking at your face and she's like what the hell is going on (laughs) and could you imagine being in the grocery store and like sweating on edge because it's treating it with like boss music one winged angel is playing while you're trying to pick a head of lettuce (laughs) it's like <laughs> well, like, think oh, about if, if everyone else can hear it, right? And you're having a yeah. rough week, like you're you popped a tire, you had to get new tires, and you're at the grocery counter, like paying. And as you pull out your card, like intense boss music starts playing. <laughs> and as you scan it, and it's it's in that please wait section of the card reader, and the boss music is getting more and more intense, and it kind of just fades away, and it just goes accepted. And everyone around you is just like, exactly, exactly. See, the fun part of that is things that normally would bring you down i feel like you'd get hyped on because if other people hear it they'll be like fuck yeah dude you fucking did it yeah you had that 585 (laughs) in your bank account good job (laughs) well think about think about this right like also if your if your wife can hear that music while you're laying pipe it's like she'll get more into it that just sounds like it's like improving your sex life. Well, not like you necessarily. Go to talk. Now, here, here's the problem, though. You've got to be confident in all your actions because mm-hmm. you go to talk to your boss about a raise. You're like, listen, I feel like I've been working hard and doing really great. I feel like I deserve to be reimbursed. And it's if like this score is giving away the way you really porn. feel. <laughs> and it's just like a real morose, sad song in the background. And they can hear that. And they're like, Father he doesn't Gask really believe this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> think about even the scenario where it's like an early warning sign right like imagine you're walking through a dark alley in a dangerous part of the town on your and you own hear a and yeah it's that or like the music starts fading up slowly and you're like i gotta get the fuck out of this alley and then as it gets louder and louder you're like i gotta go faster and like the music as you run the music's fading and then you hear footsteps following you and the music starts going up and the more you go fast you know what i mean that would be kind nah. of interesting 
Yeah. I mean, I know that that's essentially what horror movies are, but if you could find a way to film that where the implication was that it was not normal for there to be music playing in that world and you kept walking and every time you take a step, like you take a step forward and it starts being like, and then you lean back and it stops and you lean forward again. (laughs) And then you remember how we had that whole debate before Starfield came out about the physiognomy of start screens? Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Would you as a person have to start wondering about the misogyny of the music that starts playing as you're moving through? Like, what if what if you're laying pipe and your wife is like a gamer too and she saw all of a sudden she's like, why the fuck is this the theme from Lavender Town? <laughs> <laughs> what would be worse is if your wife's a gamer and she recognizes like the music and like the music from your scores, like like you're clearly working really impressive, and she's just looking at you like I'm sorry, babe, but <laughs> it's not adding up. <laughs> and then it's just the Luigi's Mansion theme song starts playing. <laughs> it's like, yeah. babe, why are you thinking about Madden right now? <laughs> <laughs> the highs are as, the highs are just as high as the lows are low. They that's are. The, that's going to be the thing, you know. But you know what? In looking at and rolling the dice, I'm going to go with that because just the idea of like I'm going to re- I'm going to go real mundane, right? The idea of being in the store and like looking at two different peaches, and then like as you look at one, it sounds like more epic, and you look at the other one, and it's just like be like, all right. This has practical real world use. Also, it's funny to think that I looked at a certain pair and it was like, fuck yes. <laughs> I am the one. That's also, see, that's the funny thing. Like, I assume in this scenario, you're not controlling it. It's just dynamically happening, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's just with that being the case, I mean, that's that's the thing, is like you imagine the score is gonna belie your real feelings. It's gonna do the job that a score does in media, which is to inform the people who are hearing it of the underlying tone and mood of what's happening, even if what's actually happening doesn't completely line up, you know. It's supposed mm-hmm. to give the deeper feelings of the <laughs> so absolutely yeah. So are we go we're both going with video game music? I think that's a good answer. I do too. Both are fun though. All right, I got a a couple more pretty good ones, all right? Would you rather have your life narrated by the enthusiastic announcer from Smash Brothers in every moment, including your most private moments, or have a Sims thought bubble above your head that displays your innermost thoughts to anyone around you? (laughs) That's a tough one. Yeah. Because could you imagine you go back on the dating scene? Mm Mm-hmm. And you're out there and like you meet a new woman and you bring her home and she decides to come in for coffee. And yeah. then suddenly you just hear new challenger. <laughs> well, and think about it with the thought bubbles, right? And because again, does she hear that? That's important. She has to hear it. Yeah, definitely. And if she hears it, how terrified is she going to be? <laughs> new challenger approaches. <laughs> <laughs> they go in fight or flight. Suddenly what you thought was going to be you getting laid is a girl killing you so that she doesn't get killed. <laughs> it's like a, uh, you finish having sex with this new person and just perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the thought bubbles would be worse. <laughs> she just brought in like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Let me take a step back. You did perfect. Like, so we went from the smash brothers announcer to like the fucking, Unreal Tournament slash Halo announcer. <laughs> Did you imagine it was the Halo announcer? 
<laughs> I can't even say the joke I'm going to make. Headshot. I'm not even going to say what I was going to say. Um, the thought bubbles would be Mortal so Kombat much worse. Finish her. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. The thought bubbles. Yeah, the thought bubbles is rough, man. The thought bubbles would be worse because sometimes, like, you've seen a hot woman and been like, oh, I wonder what her ass smells like. And you're never going to like actually <laughs> say that to her. And you're not actually curious, but there's that one lingering thought of like, I, I would that, sniff her butt. It's that, it's that deep, that deep lingering, like uh right. It's your subconscious. Instinct. Yeah. It's that, it's the evolutionary tendency toward, you know, yeah. replicating. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Would you rather have the power to summon a real life giant rubber duck like the one in Metal Gear Solid 2 whenever you need it, but it attracts constant government surveillance or be able to pause and rewind time, but only during awkward or embarrassing moments? Mm -hmm. So here's the thing. I don't. Hmm. The second one doesn't sound bad, like the only during no. awkward or embarrassing. That's like when you want to use it. Excuse me. But what? See, th- I'd run right there and just keep myself from burping. Yeah. See, it's, it's exactly. But that's what it the is. question. What if you can't actually change anything? So the only yeah, that time- would be worse. But then it says you can, right? So it's it's I have the choice. So if I know it's only going to have me continuously relive embarrassing moments that I can't change, I'll just never go back in time. Though, also, can you imagine how sad it would be if like. What did you say? Did you say awkward or embarrassing? Yes. Okay, that's fair then. Never mind. I was going to say, could you imagine how messed up it, like, you could create a really sad story if it's like only during sad moments where it's like you keep going back and reliving the trauma of watching your loved one die because at least you get some more time with them. Yeah, that would be you, wild. You can't control when it rewinds. So like you get pantsed in high school right after getting out of the pool. So it's all like shriveled and tiny. See, that's, that's and, different. That's that's not a can. That's yeah. If it, if it just does it without your control, that's terrible. That's yeah. yeah. But here's what's the down side of having a fucking rubber duck too though i mean like so maybe maybe i'm looking at this question the wrong way maybe it's not a a bad thing maybe it's what benefit do i want do i want to be able to rewind time only during embarrassing moments so i can hopefully change the outcome or do i want to be able to for some reason have a giant rubber duck that i can use to my advantage to solve my problems (laughs) i don't quite know how the rubber duck is gonna help solve my problems but it does sound fun <laughs> yeah, it does. All right, we're gonna for the last one for this Velvet's Corner, Brett. Okay, I'll give you that. This is the last one. This better yeah. be good. We went with existential would you rather's to keep me feeling uncomfortable. Okay, just wanted to change okay. it up a little bit. <clears throat> uh, pick a number between one through eight. Seven. <clears throat> would you rather live in a world? where all your dreams and desires come true instantly, but the emotional satisfaction is fleeting and you constantly crave more or live in a world where you achieve none of your dreams, but you find contentment in the pursuit. The latter. I think that as if, as long as you're content, the, fact that you aren't aspiring towards more won't matter. I think the reason that 
we chase anything as is, right? Is that let's get serious here for a second. So, cause I, I actually, I deal with this a little bit. Um, and I think most people do if they're being honest with themselves. Um, but I think most people's artistic drive, and this is why I'm curious about AI's ability to create art that feels like it does anything of value. <clears throat> art is an extension of our wants to supersede death. And we know that right now there's no real way. And whether we're aware of it, that's clearly what's happening in the background is we're going to die. And we can't do anything about the fact that we won't be here physically, but we hope that by doing something with our lives that we can leave a legacy that will outlive us either hopefully eternally for people that are like, you know, Michelangelo or something like that, or at the very least for longer than you would have, uh, you know, from your physical body. Mm. Um, So if you look at it that way, I think that a lot of the despair that comes along with not feeling like you're getting anywhere with what you want and what your hopes and dreams are comes from the fact that you're naturally not content. But if you will, if no matter what you're finding contentment, in what you're doing, despite not really chasing any of your dreams, it's, it's, it seems like a better life to live. Is it going to be less eventful? Uh, it, it's hard to say. It seems like the better life to live from a, looking at it like what will make you happier. But, you know, there's there's a big spiral that can come from just constantly chasing more and more and being able to get it, but it never being enough. And that's probably more like what life really is to some degree certain people, no matter what they accomplish, will continue to look for more and ask for more until they lose control and lose sight of themselves. And usually that ends in some kind of a uh, downside <laughs> death well, it's, or whatever it's it be. The old, it, it <clears throat> kind of goes back to exactly when you look at someone like, like I'm sure you've thought, have this thought and I've had this thought where it's like, if I was as rich as Elon Musk, I would never work again. Right. And, and he always, well, this is a good question. I want to know for you, like, you would never work again in like a employment status or that you just wouldn't do anything. And I find that important because sometimes people have asked me that. And I'll tell you that if I did not need to worry about money, I would, I would do things that are work, but I would do them knowing that there's no imperative for that. Like there's, there's no imperative for my survival within it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, <clears throat> I think for me, I've always been someone who like, like if I won the lottery, mm-hmm. I would I would go to a grocery store and be like I'll push carts for you for like five hours a day, just to have something just to, have, to do. Yeah, but sure. like have the knowledge in my head of just being like, I don't feel like doing this today. I'm calling out, and both of us having the understanding of I am filthy fucking rich. I just feel like pushing carts sometimes, and that's what I'm going to do, and that's it. I think for me, if I was as rich as someone like that, I would be. I would just look at them and be like, okay, I'm going to invest. You know what? I really like Ken Levine. I'm going to call him up and be like, I'm going to just give you a billion dollars. Make me games. Yeah. Like that's uh, dead ass. I'll just be like, I want a game that's like this. I'm giving you a billion dollars. Figure it out. Okay. So how's that? So how's that kind of tying back into this question of how you look? I mean, are are you kind of the reason, the reason I brought it up, right? Because if, I feel like a lot of people wonder, like, why does Elon Musk keep working? You know, it's like, why did Steve Jobs keep, you know, when Steve Jobs was a billionaire, he was working, he was a CEO for two companies, right? He was a CEO of Pixar and he was a CEO of Apple. And 
he was so rich he didn't need to do either of those jobs. And it's like, what about him made him want to work that much? And you'd have to think it was that, okay, every time he was successful, he was driving for the next one because it wasn't the money and it wasn't the things. It was making the next best thing. So he was never emotionally satisfied with the Apple II, right? Yeah. Or Toy Story. So he had to keep working. And that's, I think, kind of the human condition is like, I'm never going to be satisfied, right? Like, if I finally write my book, it's going to get published, move on. And then it's like, well, how do I top it with a sequel? It's not, holy shit, my book has a Netflix deal, which, you know, very unlikely. But, yo, they're making, Netflix is making my movie. Fucking David Fincher is attached to direct, something crazy like that. And then it's like, but I'm thinking about, yeah, this isn't enough. Now I got to make the next book. You know what I mean? It's the same. Yeah, I thing. get what you mean. It's like it, it is exactly the 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 first part of that question, right? Where it's like you're 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 constantly eventually achieving your goal, but you always want more. I think it's a, it it maybe is a, a different view of it, right? Because in in the scenario that it paints, at least as I initially heard it, maybe it goes to show how my brain's skewed, but it definitely kind of seems to have a negative connotation to it. Whereas. There's definitely a way to look at like Elon and Steve and all these different people and look at them negatively. A lot of people do, right? E- you know, Elon's problem, that's all this. And maybe it's just because I'm more um, <clears throat> sympathetic or empathetic, uh, maybe even to some of the condition of I make plenty of money, I, I have a lot of things, and yet um, <clears throat> I just want to do things that I find to be productive. And they're not even necessarily tied to money or the ability to make money. Sometimes it's just tied to the ability of being able to look at myself and be like, I did something of value today. And that value was entirely, you know, determined by me. Uh, You know, a lot of times it's things that no one else even learns about or hears about or that doesn't impact them. But it's like, I just want to be able to know when I'm thinking about myself that I did something of value. And one of the things I deal with sometimes, like whenever I'm sitting there playing games for a while, I, I think... I can't really play games for like eight hours very often anymore because about four or five hours in, if I'm really even doing that, I start getting like fidgety and I'm like, all right, I'm not, I I get like a weird depression sitting in where I'm like, I'm not doing anything of value. And yeah, I mean like I'm playing a game that's art that does have value, but for some reason that's not cutting it for me now. It's like, I got to do something that my brain considers to be valuable for me to move on. So in a way it is that, uh, but I know a lot of mine's tied to, um, <clears throat> you know, one of the things I deal with a lot is like the, it's a completely unfair thing to put on yourself. Right. And I know that, but it's like this feeling of like, I'm not doing enough. I've not done enough. It's a point in my life where I'm at right now in comparison to what I always, uh, wanted from myself, like what I always expected from myself. Uh, and you got to balance that by looking at me and like, yeah, you know, there's all these things I wanted to do. I wanted to create some things. I wanted to do interesting things. And the funny thing is, is I have, Right, I've I've wrote albums, I've put out music, I've recorded, done stuff with friends, I've played live shows, I've done this podcast, I've done guest spots. They're all fun. I find them interesting, and the whole reason I do them is because I I feel like my life would be markedly worse had I not endeavored towards these. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that in a weird in, in a weird way, I have really met what in my mind I feel like I haven't, but for some reason that just doesn't go away. So I do sympathize with people like Steve Jobs and, and Elon Musk and all these people where they're like, well, is, when can you not have too much or whatever? And I'm like, it's not about the money for them, I don't think. I think it's just 
the money is a byproduct of the fact that they just can't stop. They got to keep going. And as a result, they end up with all these different money, um, with all the money that comes along from that. And, you know, all the stress that comes along with that money as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, kind of bringing it back to the question though, it's, uh, I I guess there's a, I I think of this Bob Ross quote that we used in one of our songs, because I really like it. I think it's a great quote. Um, Maybe my answer really is the first, because at least in that life, there's um, contrast is, is probably the best way I'll word it. Because when you look at something like constantly being content, there's a bliss that comes from not from always being happy and not really pushing yourself. But I think that type of contentment is not really happiness, right? I, I don't think that that's quite what that is. I think it's just content, which is not really the same. It just means that you're not having a negative thing. Uh, but when I think about like the quote from Bob Ross is he's, he's talking about painting and he's talking about how uh, the differences between black and white. And right? he's like, he's saying he's using that as like a light and darkness thing. And he's saying like, mm-hmm. you know, you can't have darkness without light to give context to the darkness and you can't have darkness without light to give context to the darkness. Um, and he kind of pulls back and he's like, you know, it's like life. You got to have, some sadness so that you can enjoy the happiness. And he's like, you know, you have to have bad times so that you can enjoy the good times. And he says, I'm waiting on the good times now. And it's, it's, it's like a gut punch of a quote. It's really great. Yeah. It's right after his uh, wife died. Right. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. And I think the thing about that is I think it kind of feeds into realistically what, what the human experience is, is that uh, a lot of the things that we do are trying to get back to the opposite end of the spectrum that we can feel better at. And I think if you're just always happy to some degree, it sounds great on paper, but I think that you would, I, 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 in that situation, you clearly can't come to resent it. But I think to a degree, if you look, I think it is better to have higher highs that are coupled with lows than it is to constantly be at a, at a, relatively okay position, you know? So I guess I'll choose the first. I, I, I guess I would rather constantly be looking for the next thing, but at least be having moments of feeling like, yes, I achieved mm-hmm. my goal because at least you have, however fleeting it may be, a thing there. So uh, what's your answer? Yeah, my answer is the first one. I agree. <laughs> man, you know what, on that note, man, um, <laughs> I hope you had a good time. And you're looking towards the bad times now because the show is ending. So, uh, Chris, can I ask you something? Does yeah, it yeah. feel emotionally appropriate to end this segment with the Velvet's Corner theme song? <laughs> you want to do one more? Go back to video games? <laughs> no, fuck it. Let's do it. All right. Velvet's Corner. All right, Chris. Well, I'm going to take the reins of the show back for a little bit, if you don't mind. Uh, Thank you for joining me. Uh, What do you think the community stake should be for our great listeners for next week? Would you rather? (laughs) (laughs) It's so obvious, right? It's got to be that last question. Look, it needs to be one of the would you rathers, in my opinion. So let's one of the gaming ones, just to keep it a little lighthearted. I don't want someone sending their... uh, I mean, I first do. of all, so let me you. let me take a second. Let me take a second. I genuinely mean this. If you feel like you just need someone to talk to, I I mean it wholeheartedly. If you need it and you just don't feel like you have it anywhere and you just want to come to me, I do not mind at all. Offer that up. That is a very serious moment. 
kind of coupled back in. But yeah, if you, <laughs> I know what Chris was getting at. Like, you know, let's, let's hear all the crazy crap that you want to say. Cause you know, yeah. that was a, an oddly, um, a very different moment for the podcast. And you <clears throat> All right. We're going to ask one of the ones we didn't answer. <sighs> Ooh. Okay. okay. So the community's take is, would you rather be the main character in a PlayStation game, but have to collect every single collectible item in the game before you can accomplish your objectives or live in a world where everything is pixelated and eight bit complete with limited graphics and physics. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I will copy that into your DMs. All right, yeah, hop into my DMs. All right, guys, remember, if you want to be part of the community's take, head over to Twitter, or formerly Twitter, now X, at TriangleSQRD. Hop into the description below and find us on the Discord by clicking into the link. Um, hop on in. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, maybe you, should give, you can give us your existential <laughs> answers in the podcast. Open discussion. Ask us uh, existential questions. We want Yeah, those. ask us your existential. That's going to be the new segment at the end. Yeah, it's going to be like a real morose. <laughs> instead of it being Vel- Velvet's Corner will be the sexy part, and then we'll have like um, the somber corner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Socrates balcony. <laughs> yep all right um well with that in mind chris again thanks for joining me uh everyone if this has been your first podcast what a hell of an episode to come into i'm gonna tell you chris the funny thing about doing this podcast is i long ago gave up worrying about what's probably best for getting the biggest listenership (laughs) because i know that the fun I have with the show is probably a limiting factor to what the audience can be. But I would rather come every week and do something like this that's kind of weird and walk away and be like, that was at least an interesting time uh, than I would do something that I don't you know, fully believe in just because it's going to do better in the, in the SEO. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it other than that, but I appreciate that you... Uh, would you rather you have fun on it? your PlayStation podcast... <laughs> Or would you Five rather be boring and fucking lame by just talking about the news and reacting to trailers? Yeah, this is where you can hear about God of War needing a Metroidvania and the duality of life. Right. This is a good podcast. <laughs> Do you believe in free will? No. Buy the, next, the next Uncharted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well here's the thing chris if free will doesn't exist and everyone who's going to listen to this is always going to listen to it and we can't change anything about that exactly. um i am going so to with, go to work tomorrow and i'm probably going to be late so it goes i don't have free will so i'm going to tell my boss i'm sorry i got here an hour late i don't have free will i didn't choose that <laughs> <laughs> all right guys uh until next fate. week this has been Triangle Square. Join us uh, next week if you want to. Probably won't be as long or crazy of an episode, but you never know when it comes to this podcast. Uh, remember, like I said, follow us. And if you're listening on podcast services, remember, if you like the show, to consider giving us a, a rating on any of the ones that allow you to do so. Uh, and if it allows you to do a review, also do so there. Subscribe if you want to keep up with us, be it whether you're watching this on YouTube or listening on podcast services. And lastly, if you want to support the show with more than just your time, head over to patreon.com slash nartech and consider giving as little as a dollar per month to support the show. It is a huge help. 
helps us keep the show running without having to dig into our own pockets. And we are very thankful to all of you who do so. And if you've been listening to this for free, you should be thankful of them as well because they're primarily why this continues to happen so big round of applause a little golf clap for our patrons and what we do as a sign of thanks is while the list is still manageable to do so we shout them out at the end of every single episode so with that being said we'd like to shout out duh overlord spencer brandon edwards alex barry rogers stingray x easton 328 aztec king leechion 69 the lord corgi bailey robertson mark shucks Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Rude Days 93, Kevin Bacon Bits, Danny Villiobos, Jehudi MD, No Fate, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Donovan Williams, Matthew Green, and Sean Santarude. Thanks to each and every one of you. See you next week. 